0: Hello!
1: Hey guys, it's Arden Cho.
0: This is Seth Gilliam. My name is Kiahu Kahuanui.
1: Hey you guys, this is Melissa Ponzio.
2: I'm Lyndon Ashby. Hey, it's Ronnie Adams. This is Tyler Posey, and you are listening to Not Another. Not Another. Not Another. This is Not Another Teen Wolf Podcast. Yes it is! Oh! Ha ha!
0: This is Jeff Davis, and you're listening to Not Another Teen Wolf Podcast.
2: everyone. This is episode 73 of Not Another Teen Wolf podcast. We're a little bit late this week because of uh, various issues that you'll uh, hear about in a moment. Well, sort of planned issues. Great, fantastic issues for Karen. Not so fantastic for us. Na- it's me, Natalie, here, obviously. I've got Donya with me this week. Hello, Donya.
1: Hey. hey. <laughs>
2: Hi. We're here recording at a time that's convenient for us, for Donya and I, because uh, Karen has decided not to come on the podcast this week. Karen has decided that what she wants to do this week, instead of coming on another Teen Wolf podcast, is to go to Comic Con. And I mean, whatever. That. It's like, you know, you put on all this really hard work, and you think you know a person, you think they're going to be there for you, and then they turn around and go to Comic Con behind your back. Well, and, you know, do things like cover you know the Teen Wolf panel and just blatantly ignore the Hannibal panel that's going on afterwards you know leaving me to cry in the dust you know it's not like she's gonna line up all day on Friday and get me one of the exclusive Winter Soldier Marvel hoodies or anything like you know it's not like you know it's just so selfish I just can't believe that she's done this no anyway sorry you may or may not have realized (laughs) (laughs) it's Comic-Con week everyone's a little bit highly strung But yeah, Karen is at Comic Con on behalf of Hyperball and not another Teen Wolf podcast. She's going to be doing lots of fun things, obviously covering the Teen Wolf live panel, also the Teen Wolf press uh, room, so she'll be talking to the cast and Jeff again. Uh, She also might be going behind the scenes for a couple of other little Teen Wolf fun things that we can't officially confirm yet because we don't exactly know what's going on, but there are, there are things in the works and, and there's going to be lots of fun, fun going on. Uh, she's meeting up with lots of our, our friends there, both from hyper and from the teen wolf fandom. And yeah, it's, it's very heartbreaking to everyone. That's not Karen. Basically. <laughs> she needs to bring back a bestiary.
0: Seriously, yeah. Teen, I need, teen. I need one of those. Oh my God. If you guys haven't seen the pictures yet get yourself to Twitter or somewhere and I'll make sure to like retweet at least one person who's put pictures up because it is gorgeous. Oh my God. I saw it this morning as people got their hands on the, on the first copies and I almost wanted to cry. It is that pretty.
2: (laughs) So that's fine. We're not bitter at all. I mean, (laughs) no, I'm joking. If it was anyone other than Karen, uh, I would be very, very mad. Uh, and bitter and harsh and I would hate them forever but I can't bring myself to hate Karen because she's too cute so we've (laughs) (laughs) I'm very I'm very stoked uh that we are getting the coverage from comic-con obviously it would just be nice for everyone to be there tell us if you went to comic-con um and experienced the madness I know Teen Wolf's doing some signings there um obviously as well as the panel and all of the other things that are going to be there like what are you most sad about missing at Comic Con, Donya, Besides from Teen Wolf?
0: Oh God! As if anybody can pretend to like not know what I'm so
2: mad about missing. Let me guess. You. Let me guess, Donya. <laughs> is it the full cast of Avengers: Age of Ultron all getting on a plane together, ditching their filming and coming to Comic Con as a large group? Is that it, what it is?
0: It, it may. You may have hit the nail on the head, yeah? Natalie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, that's yeah. fine. That's just that's just fine. So
0: Yeah, that's know. just great.
2: That's great. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> it's Comic Con week. Everyone's very highly strung. Um but yeah. Obviously, yay for Comic Con, you know, we'll have to we'll have to move on from this. I'm sad about Um, about missing Hannibal stuff because the Hannibal fandom is weirdly delightful. It's so friendly and funny and ridiculous. And, you know, it's a show about, like, psychopathic murderers eating people. So, you know, clearly the worse that your show gets, the happier and more jolly the fandom is. So that that makes a lot of sense. No wonder the Glee fandom is so miserable and the Hannibal fandom is, like, the most delight. Like, it's clearly, (laughs) like, the worst... And and more, the more disgusting and harsh your show is, the more lighthearted your fandom ends up being. There's so many things though that are going to be good. I know that Karen's also going to be seeing a you know one of the first screenings of The Maze Runner, so Dylan O'Brien's movie. Um, she just saw a bunch of pilots for uh, she's uh, a Flash pilot. Um, she saw Constantine. Constantine, and I so mad. We were I'm like, like okay. confused. Is the Constantine one meant to be based on like the comic? Like yes. which version of Constant anyway, we It's shall- Hellblaze the Hellblazer Comic. Okay, so, we should probably talk yes. about this at some other point. But um Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so many things that are and so many exclusive bits of merch or freebies and Yeah, let's move on before we start to cry. Yeah. Uh, cool. Um you just came back from Wolfsbane though, so not I... quite Comic Con, but almost as good. It is. Yeah,
0: it was really good. The atmosphere is always really good at this convention. And I think it it was really nice to see a lot of people coming back, like not just like guests that were there, just like fans that I'd met last year, like seeing a lot of familiar faces and then getting to see some people who I would started talking to through Twitter, who had been at the convention last year, but we'd never... Like we hadn't crossed paths yeah. properly yeah. And you're like, oh, you were and there. Then... Oh,
2: you were there. Oh, okay. Like, and you've met them yeah. since then,
0: yeah. Yeah. So that was really, really cool. Um, it was very, very full on. Uh, this time around bigger? because bigger the...
2: capacity, more. Capacity? Yeah, they
0: uh, they moved the hotels because last year it was in London and this year it was in Birmingham. Uh, because the hotel was bigger.
2: Mhm. Uh,
0: it's a massive. Uh, the hotel it was held at was the um NEC. Hilton.
2: Oh, like attached and, to the NEC Arena.
0: Yeah, it's it's right. attached to it, yeah. and it is a massive conference hotel. Yeah. So at the same on the same weekend. Birmingham's was,
2: a big conference city. They do a lot of official, yeah, like yeah, like your business conferences and stuff take place. Yeah, it's, it's big, and
0: it was huge. Like there were three other conferences
2: going on. Oh, wow. at the same they must have time. You guys were insane.
0: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well the thing with the thing with this one versus last year was that you couldn't queue up outside any of the rooms oh. like you weren't you couldn't queue up so basically, if you were trying to like last year, if you wanted to get some of the exclusive meet and greets, what people were doing is they were queuing overnight for that mm. it, at the Hilton um this time round. The staff was basically coming around and going, you can't be here. You have to go back to your rooms, go to bed. (laughs) So that was that was a major difference because I think a lot of people actually met in those queues last year. It's not an ideal
2: situation to like if for something that is having things go on sale, you sort of have to have the facilities for people to queue. so yeah
0: so that was that was a little bit different but otherwise it was really really good uh everything seemed to run quite smoothly there was a merchandise room this year which there wasn't last year um which was selling like a couple of prints and paintings and these really really cool little um copper art designed books that had like um different designs on there that a lot of it was um Weirdly enough, Supernatural merchandise. But then okay. Rogue Events also do like a massive Supernatural convention mm-hmm. over here. So it's kind of like a throwover because they're both Supernatural shows, I guess. Yeah. So they just figured there's probably
2: a lot of crossover. <laughs> um,
0: Which guests? Yeah.
2: Who, who was the lineup exactly? Oh, God.
0: Right. So it was a lot we, of people. Yeah. So we had Tyler Hacklin. Mm-hmm. We had Seth Gilliam. We had Adam Fristo, Holland,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Max and Charlie.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, God, I'm going to, like, forget Linda someone. there JR? Cry. No, JR was there. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Lunsford. Yeah. Crap, we have two more people that I'm forgetting. Who am I forgetting? Who am Melissa? I forgetting? No, Holland was the only girl. Okay. what um, No. Hold on. <laughs> 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 I'm literally going to have to. Every single time, I forget the last two like I kind of I kind of go through everything and then I forget the last two every single time but there were a lot of people you've named
2: like nearly everyone Daniel Shaman
0: sure. oh yeah and duh. Ian oh my god yeah oh my god if Alyssa Clark is listening to this I'm sorry I can't believe I forgot Ian cuz <laughs> <laughs> he's, I, he's yeah. coming
2: here in a couple of weeks for a convention yeah. with uh <clears throat> Max Holland and Synquab and I'm going to need some tips from Alyssa on how to handle him because I haven't experienced Ian He Rollins is an before.
0: absolute sweetheart. He was so charming and so nice to pretty much everyone he was talking to. Like, um, he's, he's just a really nice guy. Like, I don't know why I'm surprised, but he was very, <laughs> very charming. He was very smooth. Yeah, like I'm just kind of like yeah, I'm not that shocked. <laughs> yeah, okay, but yeah, he was really nice.
2: Um,
0: and the twins, as always,
2: were an absolute oh delight.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: so what was what was your sort of favorite uh, moment or guest? Uh, like who was who 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 gave the best impression in the panels or or what was your sort of best oh, moment?
0: Man, the the funniest panel, hands down, the most memorable for me was the one that had heckling daniel sharman and ian and and jr Uh uh-huh like that was that was the like one of the last panels before like the final questionnaire thing oh my god i have not laughed in so long i was trying to live tweet Mm. and i think half the time i was i was shaking i was laughing so much trying to live tweet this um there there are probably some clips Is this the the, the, the favorite
2: it. names favorite words thing or No that came oh, after we that. We talked panel. about that on the the other week cuz Karen sort of yeah. mentioned that. But... This
0: is if you guys have seen the really really terrible gifts of JR basically jerking his microphone oh. around oh. while him and Daniel Sharman scream sweep, that's the panel that that those gifts came from. I I, I... If you have not had the infinite pleasure of seeing this yet, Natalie, I will link them to you after we're done recording. It's just so funny. Daniel really likes curling a lot. So someone asked. It's like a legitimate thing or like a joke? No, it's a legitimate thing. People ask them what their favorite sport was to watch that maybe they didn't necessarily play or didn't necessarily follow like and curling is, is Daniel's
2: Okay, good. For yeah, him. that's fine. Whatever, I don't mind. He can he can be a curler or a curling fan, curling yeah. enthusiast. I yeah. really miss Tyler Hecklin. I'm gonna say this every week until the day that I'm reunited with Tyler Hecklin, and one day he's gonna <laughs> hear this podcast and then be really creeped out. Please, Tyler Hecklin, <laughs> appreciate that I'm actually not creepy about you, unlike many of this fandom. Uh, that admire many of your uh, fine qualities. I just think that you're a very pleasant person and I feel robbed of a con experience involving Tyler Hecklin. I would like to to see him and and see his deli- delightful face smiling in the same way that we got to see Derek delightfully smile this week as we will get into. The better Derek gets on the show, the more I'm just like, man, I want to hang out with Tyler Hecklin. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna keep happening I think I think it's only going to get worse um but yes I you know I think that that's a really cool cool mix of people and and I'm always always delighted by by the cast and they seem to like going around to cons together and and hanging out so that's fun
0: yeah it's really really good it's nice to see them enjoying themselves as well
2: yes I think that my missing of Tyler Hecklin this week is particularly pertinent because this episode uh, is actually the episode that we involves the scene that we saw filming uh, yes. between uh, Chris Argent and Derek Hale, um, between yeah JR and, and Hecklin. And that was our sort of on-set uh, meeting experience. We met a lot of people, cast and crew on set, but that was the scene we got to saw filming and then talking to them about it. I can't remember which stories we've told about that on the... Um, on the podcast, but we will chat a little bit about that when we get to it as well. Because yes. I can't remember if I told the, the story about Hecklin telling about the $117 million and, and how he used to think it was insurance money as well. Like, he used to think Derek was rich on insurance money. Yeah. I can't, um, I can't remember if I've told that story on the podcast, but I'll, I'll mention it briefly. We can – yeah, we can, can
0: – we can get to it. It's fine. Yeah,
2: with the um, people, but yeah, won't mind
0: hearing it again. It's fine. <laughs>
2: yeah. This was our um, yeah. So this was this was the episode um, directed by Jen Lynch that we got to see filming um, scenes from. Though I think they might have been filming part of a different episode as well um, because they were definitely doing a classroom scene. And I don't know. I thought it was in the hallway with like. Well, well when we okay, so when we were when we we're in the school set. Um, we saw, I think that, okay, sorry guys, this is going to sound really, whatever, just, just ignore us for the moment. The person who said that we've all got dumber and that the podcast has gone downhill since we went to set, this is especially for you. Um, when oh, we, when we, sorry, well, it's Comic-Con week, everyone's very highly strung. Um, when we went to, when we saw Jeff in the hallway of the school set and he was like, we're going to, he was kind of like, hi everyone. They were filming behind that wall, which I think was a classroom set, and that, and I think Dylan and Posey and maybe Sprayberry were in there filming because we've met Sprayberry in the hallway as well. And then Matthew Del Negro came through. Do you remember? Mm. And Matthew Del Negro wasn't in this episode. Yes. So they may That's have been filming true. a separate, set, another scene. But anyway, we don't know what that scene was. We might, we might know when we get to it later. But yes, we saw Matthew on set, and he wasn't in this episode. So presumably he is. Coming up again at some point, sorry about that little bit of uh figuring out our admin, yeah, as a said person <laughs> said the podcast has gone downhill since we went on set. that was especially for you. um let's go straight into the episode. favorite quotes um, you picked one for this week, Donya, presumably yes, <laughs> yeah, I
0: did uh obviously coach making a comeback uh if i could grade you on how profoundly you disturbed me you'd be an a plus student i just that line was perfect like every single time he opens his damn mouth i'm just it's
2: just comedy gold comes out every single time when he And Styles, he was just like, he was kind of just like, looked at his stuff and he's just like, yeah, this is, this is weird, isn't it? And he's like, yeah, thanks, coach. Oh, I mean, he was you kind throwing of those papers around. Even before Coach said anything to him, I was like, what are you doing? Like, you're literally in the like middle class. You're throwing these things around everyone else is studying and you're like flicking around these like graphic dead body pictures it's like <laughs> well done boy I, I,
0: I worry about style sometimes I
2: really yeah, really do I suppose <laughs> it felt like the the problem was more urgent than than secrecy allowed if you know what I mean like he's like yeah. you gotta stop this don't have time for secrecy but yeah I, I seriously I wonder what people who are not you know, not in the pack, not in the no think about styles. Because it's styles
0: the- is probably that kid at school who was really, really creepy that yeah, you wanted
2: to like keep probably, away from. Like, yeah, I, I, if this was if this was 15 years ago and and school massacres were, you know, something that you would uh, feel more comfortable making a flippant remark about than you would today, given that it is the most disgusting thing ever you would worry that he was that kid in school, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, that, the murder kid. Like, But, yeah, he's he's very strange. And, and I, I do love it, though. And, and it, it is, you know, I'm wondering if that he's ever going to get pulled up on that at some point. <laughs> Mine was actually Derek. So surprised. And it was in, um, but it was him saying to Chris Argent when they're discussing Kate and, you know, how, you know, they, oh, you knew Kate was alive, et cetera, they're, you know, they're all back, you know, Chris and Derek, you know, we didn't get to see their reunion. You know, they they were off, you know, we, they went off to the Hell Vault together. We didn't get to see their dramatic reunion when Chris came back from France. I'm sure there was, like, hugging involved or something. And we, <laughs> we didn't get to see that, which is sad. But Derek, you know, Chris was kind of like, you know, oh, if I find her, you know, there's somewhere I can take her. And Derek's like, you're saying you have some kind of werewolf jail, which... A few reasons I picked it. Number one, his delivery I found really funny, and I just like it whenever Derek gets to be really, like, anything other than, like, emotionless, basically. Because I think, I don't think, um, you know, I don't think Derek's emotionlessness is, like, a sign of, you know, bad acting or anything like that. I think that he's a very tired person, and I think that he's a very, you know, he's someone who's just, Find stuff hard to to cope with and and all of that kind of thing, but I like it when he ha- gets to kind of have emotions and and especially sarcastic emotions and just and just kind of anything other than blank like either blank I am just coping with this or like sort of anger and like oh you're all stupid like I like when he gets to be like uh, like kind of just either sarcastic or you know any any emotions basically, and and I enjoyed his emotional range in this episode. Yeah, but, it was pretty great. But yeah, <laughs> but that particular line I just found really funny because I don't know, I just I just did. It's, it was this,
0: it was that one, and the other moment that's really made me go, I like loving Derek's kind of sass was after um the sheriff is like, but how does that guy eat?
2: Mm. And
0: he's like, Oh, well, Peter yeah. didn't get a chance to ask. <laughs> it's it's like, yeah, yeah.
2: Like, I loved that, so I as well. this, like, that
0: that the delivery on that. He's and his, just his yeah. look at at the sheriff, like that immediate look after the sheriff asks that question is just it's so on point. But yeah, just he's it's... having these little moments that just make me go i really, 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 really loving Derek. More than, like, I've like, I loved him before. Mm. I joke. I make terrible, awful jokes about him and his life. Mm. But that is the only way I can possibly deal with the fact of, of how much Derek's life has sucked.
2: Yeah. <laughs> He's but, definitely officially my favorite character now. Like, he was kind of always unofficially my favorite character. And I don't really like to, like say, like, oh, yeah, this person's my favourite, and, like, like hands down, my favourite, and, like, this is where I'm flying my flag kind of thing. But he was called kind of always unofficially my favourite. I think he is yeah. full-on my favourite character now. Um, and, and I don't know, I just... I feel like since he got de-aged, he, maybe he's got more in touch with his emotions or something. Like, because he... You know, he was quite emotional as a teenager when they de-aged him. Like both, you know, very quick to anger, but also very sassy and very easy to be happy. And he was just relaxed. And the emotion that he seems to have coming through comes seems to come from being slightly more relaxed. It's not like he's not taking things seriously, but he's just a little freer with himself. And God, I want I want him to like I want to ha- I want them to be like cursed by like happiness fairy or something that makes them act (laughs) like they're on ecstasy or something like like something that you know you know what I mean I want a monster of the week I know Jeff doesn't do monsters of the week I don't care I want an episode that's like them getting cursed with some sort of like hypnotic drug or something where he's just like super stoked and like loving and amazing because I think Tyler Hecklin would knock it out of the park. I think he would be so funny if you like metaphorically let him off his leash in terms of making Derek hilarious and I really want it. But
0: uh, again, body swap episode. Oh, would please. Still, please. I would still I would just love to see what Hecklin would do with with being Styles cuz he's always said that mm. if if they if he could body swap he would love to would love to play styles mm. and i would just love to see it'd be like that scene in um thor yeah where it's, yeah the chris
2: Evans yeah yep, where yep. was, yeah yeah the... yeah chris evans <laughs> doing loki doing captain america which yeah. was freaking genius by the way like it was so yeah. good but yes it, i want to that see that, uh, that like... kind of thing
0: that kind of thing would be perfect where if they got if they got, like, for example, Dylan to act out the scene and then got Hecklin to
2: basically imitate yeah. him. because that's what they did for that scene, right? They got Tom Hiddleston yeah. to do it and then Tom Hiddleston to do his version of Loki's imitation of, of Cap and then Chris Evans to copy Tom Hiddleston's yes. version. oh. Yeah. Chris Evans deserves an Oscar for that 14 seconds. Um, anyway, yeah. it's just perfect and so on point. But yeah, that's, <laughs> I
0: would love to, if, if we were going to get like a body, swap. a body swap, that's what I would love to see is it, is it being done like that. Mm. Do you know who else would be really, really cool to body swap with Derek? Who's still yeah. kind of like a little bit. No, I was thinking Kira.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I want that. I want that really badly because she's so cute. And, and like, oh, nervous. And I want her and Derek to be like best friends anyway. So like, oh, yeah, please, please. I want. Can someone out there draw me a BFFs Kira Ke- and Derek nerd fan art? Like, is there anyone listening that will do that for me? Because I just I want them to be friends so much. Derek needs a friend. I know he has Scott, who at the moment, I think I feel like Scott. He thinks Scott is like a benevolent dominatrix or something. He's really like that locker room scene, the way that Scott looked at his body language compared to Derek, it's like Derek is like, yeah, he's sort of quote unquote superior and older, but oh my god, the vibes. Anyway, we'll get to it. We have Honourable Mention. Yeah, we have Honourable Mention, which was I think probably one of the uh, I, I didn't pick it as my main one because, you know, I had I had some important points about Derek and and, and Donya was gonna pick it as well. And it's just flat out funny. Uh, which was our Mason, um, our, who was sort of introduced last week and then had more of a role this week. Basically, talking to Liam about his uh, opposition on the on the team, and you know the opposing lacrosse player from Liam's old Brett. school, uh, Brett. And and sort of, and Liam is is quite annoyed that Mason seems to be uh, casually checking, checking out, him out. <laughs> Brett, and he's just like, no 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 no, I think you could take, you know, I. I Liam's saying, no, no, I could, I could take him, and Mason's like, yeah, sure, I think you could definitely take him, and then give him to me, and, <laughs> it's, and Liam's just like, oh, I hate you. Now this was hilarious. Obviously, it was, it, and, and I think that they, ha- MTV, used the hashtag like, what are friends for, or something when, when this scene came up. It's so funny, so well done. Also, such a good non-comment worthy quote-unquote outing of a character, if you know what I mean. We knew that one of the, this character was meant to be queer. I think that was kind of announced in, like, interviews or something like that, but the show hasn't mentioned it. You know, he doesn't read as particularly queer or non-queer. You know, he he, you wouldn't say either way. You wouldn't make any assumptions. And it was just a kind of a casual in the same way that you'd say that, you know, if your friend was checking out a girl or if your girlfriend was checking out a guy or something – yeah, it was just it was just a kind of reveal of that aspect of the of his personality without it being an issue. Like I'll it was very
1: yeah.
2: It was it, a very it, non-issue and very natural and very funny situation. It wasn't gay, gay. I'm a gay. Look at me. And I think even Danny, I, I think even Danny, his introduction and his sort of reveal about being queer was kind of something to do with. It was. Coach. you have a problem with gay people or something like that? Like what what was it exactly it was coach saying to scott uh is it is it
0: girl problems is it guy problems oh yeah D- and our, our al say, yeah yeah that's <laughs> right. that's yeah. Right.
2: and and there was definitely i love that scene it, yeah it was funny but it was slightly it was slightly more like you know it was it was it was on behalf of someone else and it was this kind of reveal was was i think one of a really really good and natural and non issue way to do it and i think that that you know that kind of attitude is is something that you know m- more shows could kind of use to be able to you know make characters where their sexuality doesn't really matter one way or the other like they could be queer they could be not queer but if they wanted to add in more of an equal balance of of characters they can do that without it really being a flag waving issue um if 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 that has nothing to do with the plot but they want to show the representation if you know what i mean yeah,
0: and I just I I'm really loving Mason. Yeah, a he's lot. lovely.
2: Yeah, I will say he's very
0: very sweet.
2: Yeah, and and I uh, this scene last week where the sound dropped on his episode, like in his, his yes. first real episode, that was a real shame. And and one of the writers um who we're in touch with, she was like, I cried when that happened because I love that character so much, and I was like, oh no, his first scene is ruined. So um I
0: have since seen the scene now with the yeah. sound because uh, MTV were very, very nice enough to put that scene up yeah. on Facebook. So if you guys uh, haven't seen it or still haven't seen it with the sound, you can check out the Teen Wolf Facebook page yeah. and it is up on there and you can watch it with the sound if your sound dropped out. Um, because for me, it also dropped out i didn't get yeah, sound in that scene either yeah it's they're, um it's a really nice scene and it, i it's better for it having had the sound and then the sound cut out mm-hmm. when the door closes so yeah that was
2: yeah they're very that, enthusiastic about this character over at the over at teen wolf hq so about mason so i'm hoping good things and not pain will come oh god <laughs> Um. Okay. We should get right into the episode. So I suppose. Yes. Move away from potential pain. Um. Hang on. I literally just got like a spam email of my husband and I are donating eight, eighty mil, eight hundred thousand British currency to your to you. Say, send below details for claims. Like a like a spam. You know, <laughs> send me all your details so we can transfer you eight hundred. Yeah. No. How <laughs> get that wasn't Okay, that was to the podcast account. That was to the not a podcast up. account. That just popped up on my phone. Which as reminds well. me, if you want to contact me and you're not a spam emailer, if you want to contact the podcast and you're not a spammer fishing for information in exchange for giving us a fake eight hundred eight hundred thousand dollars, <laughs> you can reach us on NATW podcast at gmail.com or on our Twitter which is NATW podcast uh Instagram, if you feel like seeing any of our hilarious, stupid pictures from the past and a t w podcast you didn't post any from do spain donya
0: I posted one, but the the internet was oh so yeah. bad there like you ha- if you wanted the good internet, you had to pay fifteen pound a day. Okay, no. And I'm sorry. I love my Wi-Fi, but that wasn't happening. <laughs> <laughs>
2: hopefully, Karen will have some from Comic-Con if the if the Wi-Fi there keeps anyway. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, look out for for Comic-Con Pictures on Instagram and ATW podcast there or our Tumblr, which is not another Teen and that's where you can usually reach us um at any time about anything that you like, you know, even if you're mad about Comic-Con, you can reach us there. You know, if you want to tell us to shut the hell up, you can, you know, you can reach us there too. But hopefully you'll reach us and say nice things. We'll go into the episode now straight away because um, we've had a fair bit of chatter. Just, I'm probably not going to do this as well as Karen, by the way, because usually she writes the notes and kind of le- leads the, the points and then I just respond with nonsense. So I'm leading the points today. So it might not be uh, very good. It'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, we start with the sort of junior assassins, as Brooke has called them. Violet. And she's also been calling them Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, no. Okay. Yeah, we, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's... I'm done. All right. Drops the mic. Walks out. Okay. No. Bonnie and Clyde chasing another werewolf, basically, working off the whatever hit list they had. They are chasing this, this young girl who turns out to be, you know, about 23. Uh, I got a bit confused about that because she was running through the high school. But as Jeff said on Twitter the other day, like, they have to use the sets they have, so everyone ends up running through the high school at some point. Um, they can't just create new sets just because one character's meant to be 23. Um, but anyway, she's getting chased by um, Violet, Violet Garrett. And they and she kind of has had her hand cut off by Violet's creepy thermo wire thinks Garrett is about to save her because he pulls up and is like, oh, my God, she's chasing you. Get in the car. And then he's like, ha, 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 no, I'm going to kill you, and and then kills her. So that's fun. She was also repeating. We see that she's an innocent beta as well. She's a yellow-eyed beta and is on the hit list and and gets killed by the Bonnie and Clyde 2014. And, um, oh, God. There's the episode title. (laughs) But yeah, she was, when we when she was kind of hiding from them and trying to get away, she was also repeating that mantra, the, you know, three things that can't be hidden, the sun, the moon, and the truth. Which is the same thing that DeMarco, um, the keg guy, was reciting. Yes. At this point, you know, given your own brain or, or any meta, what do you think this is?
0: I actually think they may be from the same pack. hmm Like, when um I think Personally, this character who... I Did we get a name for her? Because uh, I can't remember
2: if we got a name she's on for the, her. I mean, she's on the Deadpool. She's called... Yeah. Something. I don't know. Blondie. Yeah, I can't remember name.
0: her name. But when DeMarco was killed in the last episode, you, you could assume potentially that he was from a pack, mm-hmm. and she may have come looking for him, and that's why she's come through to Beacon Hills, potentially, or come through, yeah, come through to Beacon Hills. I, I'm I'm guessing, considering that DeMarco was delivering kegs. He's a local. That he's probably, he's a local, so he's a local to Beacon County, mm-hmm. uh, But and then came through to Beacon Hills, so they've probably come, she's probably come across looking for him and run into Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, we learn a little bit more about all of, basically, they succeed in killing her. Um Garrett Brick pulls out his twisty knife and stabs her a bunch of times in the car, which is unpleasant. Um,
0: and also can it be a pain to get that stain out? I right? was
2: like, yeah, that's a really big car that you've got there. All right. Um, so we go through to kind of the follow-up to, I guess, her murder being discovered uh, because we have the Stilinski's having, you know, what, what we're calling the CSI recap montage scene, um, which – you know, involves Styles explaining to um, his dad about what they think is going on with the Deadpool, like the, the deaths that have happened so far and the figures on the, um, the list. And now there's a couple of aspects of this scene that are really important. First of all, they think that the numbers, you know, th- th- they have found out that, you know, given the amount of code that was left, that that Allison code, recap, unlocked, the, a third, one third of the entire Deadpool list. And that the, from their suspicions, somehow they worked out, you know, or, or got an idea that what the, um, the numbers next to each each uh, name means is a monetary amount and that eventually the entire list will add up to the $117 million that was stolen from the Hale Vault. And we didn't see the process of Stylix coming up with all of these ideas Uh, But I kind of didn't mind that. I kind of liked that. It was kind of cut out a bit of, you know, it would have been interesting to see his thought process, but, you know, cutting, you can't discover every mystery. You know, it kind of reminds me, Donia, I'm sure this episode is going to be chock full of uh, um, Avengers references at this point. Uh, But, (laughs) but, but you know, know in Cap 2, where they kind of, Sam tells them about the wings and Natasha and St- and you know Steve's just like eh no problem and you never see them going to get the wings because they're just like yeah we can we can do that if you know what I mean yeah. well I would have loved to see them going and get getting the wings it was kind of a scene that didn't need to happen to make the story progress if you know what I mean and I felt yeah. like this was the same like it it kind of surprised me that you didn't see them uh you know the last thing we saw of last episode was oh my god it's a Deadpool and then this is a few days later and they've already worked out what they think is going on as opposed to seeing them work out what's going on so i guess my first question is do you do you mind that or would you prefer to see more of I the i didn't process? i didn't mind that
0: i mean i thought this scene was really really well framed and really well set up so i think we got the information that we needed in order to move this plot along yeah it was it, and was... it wasn't it wasn't cluttered it wasn't clunky it was actually a really nicely framed scene as well so from the like the the tape connecting everyone so that 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 was beautifully shot yeah by the way i don't know who's responsible for that in
2: editing i do that was
0: stunning i have words about that 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 whole scene was gorgeous yeah and and i have a lot of feelings about the scene directly after this one as well in terms of how that was shot and how it was edited together because both these scenes back to back were visually stunning yeah they were my standout scenes in in terms of how they looked so the the entire framing the entire lot of information that we got specifically in this scene i'm completely okay with i i Felt it was like a very natural, almost conversation leading on from what we would learned in the previous episode. Yeah. So I'm okay with not having seen it play out entirely. I I will say, hallelujah! Derek is actually worth fifty million. Oh my god! I was so happy. I
2: was best. so happy. Oh my god! We were all so happy, you guys. Literally everyone was like, "Oh my god, thank God he's not the lowest ranked person." Oh my God, we were so excited that he was not actually the like he was not actually officially declared as Beacon Hills' most useless person. Like <laughs> we were so happy for him; it was really important. Like you know, yeah, okay, you're worth more,
0: so maybe slightly more dangerous for Derek. So yeah,
2: that sucks, That's but we were happy like Derek Hale. We were happy that <laughs> conci- part, he wasn't like the lowest. Yep. Let me tell you about the editing because I actually do know a little bit about this. I saw Jeff on t- on Twitter because he was doing the MTV um, Teen Wolf live recap yes. on Twitter. He was talking about the editor for this episode having come from CSI or something like that and using that approach to film the Styles murder board scenes. Like he was like, "Oh, I got to exercise some stuff that he hadn't done in a while," like something like that. And when I read that, I did some sort of, like, weird fist-pumping chair dance because when I was watching it, I knew it had felt like that. Like, like I don't know what comes into play because I don't know, like, technical things about, like, filmography, like, about cinematography and stuff. But, like, the cuts and the sound, I just had a I kind of had this, like, I can't put my finger on it sort of conviction conviction that it felt different and it felt totally like a proper crime procedural show And I don't know anything about making a film of TV or any kind of industry like tropes or patterns or anything. I don't like actively notice stuff like that. But apparently by osmosis, I'd absorbed enough unconsciously to be left feeling somewhat kind of clever when Jeff was like, yeah, it was done by a CSI editor on purpose like that. And yeah, he's an editor for Teen Wolf now. And his name is Ed, Edward Abrams. But yes, he used to work on CSI Miami. And Jeff had him sort of exercise those CSI muscles um in doing that scene so it did actually come across like that
0: if this gets back to edward at any point fantastic job on that scene because i absolutely loved it and as someone who watches a lot of crime procedural stuff because my best friend is totally into the criminology and crime procedural stuff so i've kind of picked it up a lot from her um it just it it's one of the prettiest prettiest little mm. csi montage bits that i've seen in a long time so yeah. kudos it was it was gorgeous and i loved every second of it and this coming from someone who isn't it, it like into dylan o'brien's hands.
2: there's <laughs> 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 a lot of people oh are. My God. i can't say i like was that focused on them i was more focused on how csi it felt
0: but, um yeah, but yeah um, i suppose there were I... a lot of close-ups on his hands but yeah, yeah. it yeah I loved that scene so much. It was really <laughs>
2: cool, and it was uh the sheriff was we also kind of discover it it cuts in between this scene um Styles tells the sheriff that they discovered it because Lydia wrote the code or discovered the code she heard it banshee thing and you know et cetera, and we discover that she's been at the lake house all weekend trying to find more keywords. And that cuts to a very sort of tragic scene of Lydia, very desperate and pale, kind of obsessively listening to records, um, try and hear, you know, have a message spoken to her. And Lydia and Malia are there and Lydia and Malia kind of speak to each other with their eyes without talking and go and, and pick her up off the floor and and make her take a break, uh, which was a pretty important scene. I think as, Oh my god, my fire alarm's going off. Why is the fire alarm going off? Hold on a second. That's okay. I think it's just a test thing, but just I'll be right back. Anyway, sorry, what were we saying? Um,
0: we were saying about um, the, yeah, the Lydia
2: and Malia picking Lydia up off the floor mm.
0: and making her take a break
2: from yes. listening
0: to the record playing over and over and over.
2: Yes. Which, so what did you take from that scene?
0: I really like this scene as well and I think it worked really really well like cut in and out of the previous scene like this whole that whole thing again absolutely gorgeous and I loved how pale this scene was as well cuz yeah. it really set the tone yeah. for like Lydia being in that kind of trance for that whole time like it also was absolutely heartbreaking the fact that you know she's she's figured out that that code word is (laughs) the name of her dead best friend Mm -hmm. like and between figuring that out and then trying to desperately figure out the rest of the code words to i guess get a heads up and potentially save the rest of her friends from being next on that list Mm. you know that like seeing lydia's grief this season is like in in part I'm really enjoying it. And I know that sounds terrible. Mm. It sounds so bad, guys. And I'm really sorry. I'm really... I guess enjoying is not the the right way to put it. But I think it's a really important thing that we need to see. Because that was her best friend. And and seeing her grieving and seeing how this is affecting her has been really, really great. And seeing that... her Almost like her desperation in trying to figure out the rest of it. Because potentially not figuring out more with Alison mm. is is kind of her way of blaming herself for it. So I think that desperation and grief coming through is really, really palpable in this scene. And in fact, all through this episode, and it's equal parts heartbreaking and also it's really it's really good to see that Alison's death is is really affecting someone that much because everyone grieves differently and Mm. everyone deals with grief differently Mm. and I think whereas maybe the others can hide it more with Lydia she's feeling it far more keenly than anyone else and I think last week was really kind of almost a tipping point for her and throughout this whole episode it it just I, I felt it so hard just her kind of almost being right on that edge of this is as much as she can deal with yeah um, yeah
2: i mean lydia i mean th- i think that that's that's kind of correct in that um one thing i've noticed in talking talking about how people grieve differently is is scott and he basically he, his grief seems rather different in that he kind of um, he's not ignoring it like oh this never happened but it's like Styles, for example, anytime he even needs to, like, mention Allison and Scott is in the room, like, when they're, you know, driving back from um, Mexico and Scott's in the car, and, you know, tonight when they, you know, were telling the, you know, Sheriff the code word was Allison. Stiles kind of looks like he doesn't even, like, want to mention her name around Scott, like, he can't cope with, like, he just, he needs to pretend it's not a thing in order to kind of get on with it, whereas because... Lydia is so kind of attached to death or knows that you know her stuff is tied into death she sort of can't escape it and like she says later in the episode which would have been a good you know good quote to pull if we're talking about serious not funny ones is her sort yeah. of little rant about you know I don't have any powers that I can control like all I have is voices in my head and it must be very frustrating for her Um, you know a- along with completely depressing and yeah, it, it, especially, you know, since everyone thinks that she's kind of still the town crazy if, if you know, people like Parish know enough to know she has a reputation. But uh, it's rather yeah. rather depressing. Um, there will be – the other thing that I've been kind of noticing or mentioning a lot to Karen, at least, in, in these episodes, is the, you know, the fact that, you know, Malia and Kira are so – you know, they're always with Lydia and, you know, they're around her. They're her two good friends now. And that must be really hard for, for Lydia as well. Not that she doesn't not you know, not that she seems to resent them, but like sort of they're very new to her life. Obviously, Scott is the, you know, is dating Kira now and. And it must be just very strange for Lydia to kind of have these two girls be her support network when she really barely knows them and they're kind of replacing Allison in her circle, if you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, um, I was actually going to bring that up as a point as well, is that what what also comes across in this scene is that Kira and um, Malia mm. look like they've been there with her the whole time. Yeah, Yeah, and they look like they haven't left her side, and you know they're they're there to support her. But even through the rest of the episode, you can see Lydia getting a little bit highly strung with Malia, especially. She
2: must know it's Comic Con week.
0: (laughs) Go on. Um, yeah, it's just kind of that. Allison was her best friend Mm -hmm. from pretty much the second she arrived in Beacon Hills. You know, that that connection came almost immediately. Mm-hmm. And for her to, to lose her after all of that time, mm. she doesn't want a replacement. Mm. I think that's the thing. She doesn't want someone else to step into Allison's place. Mm. It's too soon for that. So seeing her getting so frustrated with Malia and being like, look, get out of my personal space kind yeah. of thing, that is another thing that I've been kind of enjoying mm. with Lydia's interactions with them. It's not that... She, I, I don't think it's it's that she doesn't like them. Mm. And I don't think it's not that they won't become friends and they won't end up like caring for each other and, and mm. really wanting to support each other. I just think it's too soon for Lydia to get that really close attachment that she maybe needs to help her slowly move forward. But... Yeah,
2: I don't know. I think it's too it's, soon for her. It's just something I keep thinking about as well. Everyone's like, oh, yay, girl power, all the girls being friends together. And I'm like, yeah, if I was in Lydia's position, it's not like I would hate these girls, but I wouldn't feel that great about it. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Moving on from that um, and going on, I guess, to uh, the next day, I suppose it is, if if they're, you know, back at school couple of little things quickly um very very quickly I I want to just mention you know we see um Garrett and Violet having a little bit of a a conversation you know back at school um about who they're going to go after next and you know they're like when are we going to go after the real money the seven figure money bitch you're 15 what do you need seven (laughs) figure money for (laughs) like even if you are orphaned you don't need seven figure money especially not when you've already killed two you know, people who are worth $250,000 each. Like, what do you... You've already got $500,000. What the hell? Like, I don't know what they're aiming for here, like, solid gold toilets or something? Like, I, I don't really... Anyway, so we're obviously going to have to learn more about why Bonnie and Clyde are so keen on the money. Um, You know, obviously, Brayden is a mercenary who, you know, hunts people for money or does, you know, jobs for money, but she's an adult, and she doesn't seem to relish it in the same way that, like, We'll get to it, but Violet really seems to like it. Um, she really seems to like using her Bernie string. So, um, and I don't know if they're just like kids who don't realize, like, you know, oh my God, we're really terrible or whatever. But anyway, I I, my main reaction there was like, what the hell do they need all this money for? So, I mean, did you have any thoughts about the teen teen murderers at this point?
0: I was kind of thinking the same thing. I was kind of thinking, wow. That's a lot of money. Why do you need so much money? And it makes me think that we might end up learning a little bit more about their yeah their backstory. Um, I'm guessing the next episode is going to be more about them, considering yeah.
2: the episode title.
0: Like what? Four-
2: um, no, they're not 14. But like, say they're 16 or whatever, if they're sophomores, I don't know, they might... Like what yeah. sixteen year old says that? It's like when are we going after the seven figure money? It's like it's very old for their age, like their attitude, like, isn't it? Like yeah. it's, it's strange. I don't know. But I think the thing
0: with Garrett is that he he's the more I don't know, the more sensible one in terms mm. of what they can and cannot achieve. Mm. So that he's kind of more like no, you know what, I don't think we should be going after that money. Mm. The reason that that money is so high is because they'll kick our asses. Let's just stick with the lower figures, the ones we can actually Mm. deal with. But I'd really like to learn
2: what they need that money for. Yeah, and I mean, they know a lot about the situation. Like that thing that he said, you know, a whole alpha pack came after McCall and he was the one left standing. Like that was quite you know anyway i want to know what they know and why they know it all of these weird black market humans that like know about supernaturals and and all of that kind of thing like that aren't you know like um i we'll talk a little bit if you have any theories about who the benefactor is at the end of the episode but you know there's clearly a a big scene of people that are not necessarily hunters like werewolf hunters like the argents who know about the supernatural so um so yeah Little scene with Kira and Mr. Yukimura, because we like to get him in whenever possible, where basically, you know, he's kind of like, Kira, we know. And she's like, oh, my God, freaks out about the uh, whole situation. <laughs> oh, my God, sorry, there's assassins and a Deadpool and I didn't tell you. Oh, my God, it's going to be. A-. And he's like, what? Huh? No, we found out you playing lacrosse, uh, which was cute and adorable, I suppose, um, and a, a nice little scene. I oh. liked her plaits and her vintage Marvel comic panels jacket. Did you notice that?
0: Yes, I did notice yes, that. Yes,
2: very cute. Um, and and yeah, it was just. I mean, <laughs> so crossed
0: clearly... wires conversations are always like some of my favorite. Whereas an audience, you know what each character is talking about mm-hmm. and you're just waiting for it to come out that mm-hmm. they don't, they they're both talking about different things and you're just waiting for them both to realize that they're both talking about something different. I love little scenes like that because mm-hmm. it's so funny. Yeah.
2: I mean, in seriousness though, um, by the end of the episode, we're just going to discover that the Yukimuras need to know about this uh, Deadpool anyway, because uh, Nishiko her mother, is on that list by the end of the episode. So yes. would we do we think the Yukimuras would be willing to help the, with the benefactor mystery? Would they be coming on um, team? Like, I want Mr. Yukimura to be sitting down with, like, Melissa and Sheriff and being like, so how do we do uh, this? <laughs> like, yeah,
0: I personally think that Mr. Yukimura would probably be more likely to want to stay to help and make sure that they all stay safe Mm. with with Kira's mother however I think that her self-preservation instincts are more for her and her family Mm. than for the wider group like we learned that from 3b that she would do what is necessary to clean up either her own messes or to keep her family safe and so I think that we may end up seeing through the rest of the season Mrs. Yukimura really pushing for them to move back to New York to get yeah. Kira out of this, to to remove them from this entire situation before it becomes a, a huge issue. Especially considering both Kira and herself are now on that list. Yeah, and with with the fact that she sat like her her last tail has been used that's, up so that's what that I'm saying? she has no more power so like can she no longer protect them the way that she would have when she still had all of her tails like i think she her flight instinct is going to be a lot stronger than her fight so i think that might cause um some really interesting friction between her and Kira and maybe between her and Mr. Yukimura as well, because I think that for him, Kira's happiness and Kira's friendships and, and everything is also just as important to him. And so I think we're going to see a really interesting dynamic play out there, or at least I hope, I really, really hope that that might be the way that they're going with it.
2: Well, that was a relatively, uh, you know, tossed about question, at least between us I don't know about in the fandom, towards the end of last season, which was that given that all of Noshiko's tail knives are broken, you know, we wondered if she was even still a kitsune, like if she was just going to age not now and and die like a normal human and not be 900 years old. Obviously, she's not just withering up like instantly or anything because we've seen her, but we wondered whether she was still even a kitsune um, given all of those tails were broken and what the breaking of the tails means. But given that she is on the list, you know, now we know she definitely is still supernatural. She hasn't just turned human. So I don't know what, what her capacity is right yeah. now. If she just happens to be a supernatural, you know, but doesn't can't really do anything or, or what the deal is at all.
0: Yeah, that's going to be interesting to find out. I, I really hope that we do find out, like, if she's still got some kind of power. Because my, my understanding or what I assumed was that with that last tail knife, being broken yeah. and, and taken and I, I thought that was that was it. That's the capacity of her power and now, like you said, she will now start to age like yeah. a human. But yeah, it's interesting. It, it may very well be that they don't know that she's used her last tail up, but considering the amount that they know about what happened with the Alpha Pack and, and that sort of information coming through, it makes me wonder how much this kind of underground black market assassin supernatural stuff how much they all know like how widespread is this information i'm really interested to see what information has been spreading around like
2: yeah yeah we then kind of move on uh from there to you know a scene between Liam and Mason you know working out in the gym like, do you even lift, bro? Apparently Liam lifts. Um, but, yeah, he – he. Um. so Mason noticed that Garrett has been hiding something because he's not living where he said he was. He said he was living in a – he's like, you know how Garrett never gave me my hoodie back? Like, did they have, like, a hookup and then, like, you know, it ended badly or what was the situation <laughs> there? Anyway, no, but anyway, so he goes over to see where Garrett allegedly lives and apparently it's a housing development with nothing on it. Um, so he clearly doesn't live there, and he's like, Okay, so you know, stuff's been, you know, seriously, something strange that we're not noticing, I guess. And I mean, my impression also is Mason is not on the lacrosse team, so assuming Garrett is in their vague circle of out, you know, sitting together at lunch friends, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So he's noticed Garrett's strange, and Liam's kind of being like, Uh huh, not listening, yep, cool picking up 15 million kilograms of weight and putting it on the machine. And then Mason goes on and says, yeah, this other guy, that's he, he's, you know, I've noticed him acting strange too. You know, he used to be my best friend. sort of disappearing at parties and running to school and stuff. And Liam's just like, uh-huh, yeah. And basically, you know, Mason is, is talking about him. So he's noticed Liam acting strange, but they don't really uh, go into that um, that much. But Mason sort of drops the, the bomb on Liam that they're playing Liam's old prep school at the, at the lacrosse scrimmage. Um, And I actually really love the delivery of this scene. Um, I've been whatever with Liam. I think he's cute and I think it's been sort of good so far and I wasn't really sure how this character was going to go. Him being like, him saying to Mason, you know, Mason's like, did you hear who you're playing? He's like, yeah, yeah, of course. And then he's just like, no, actually, I wasn't listening. <laughs> the delivery was so, it was so real. It was so real. It was so stupid teen boy. And it was just, I, I don't know, it killed me. But um, basically, there's the, the, you know, the main issue of them playing Liam's old prep school that he got kicked out of. But in this scene, to me, seemed to tell me a fair amount of, like, Liam and, Mason's relationship. One of the writers, Ian Stokes, mentioned on Afterbuzz, they added Mason to help flesh out Liam's world and they think of these two as a Scott and Stiles 2.0 which I definitely agree with. After seeing this episode I definitely had some, some questions for the writers which we can hopefully get a confirmation on at some point I don't know if it's going to end up becoming part of the story or not, about Liam and Mason's relationship because it vibed to me like a long-term friendship It like, you know, the way that they seemed very familiar with each other. And, you know, again, like, you know, the, the comfortability with each other later in the episode, the kind of references here, you know, Mason having known Liam long enough to know that he's changed, even though Liam has only just come to the school a, a month or two prior says to me that they are old friends and maybe, maybe Liam transferred uh, to this particular high school because Mason was there as opposed to another public school in the county or whatever. So, so at
0: least you would have a point of reference for, like, at least one person. Yeah, I, I don't rather know. Coming, rather than coming into a school where you know absolutely no one and you yeah. have nothing. It just,
2: it just felt to me like an older friendship than it would logically be if they if if Liam has only been at school one or two months. And I believe that that is where they're going with it, but um, it's not really obviously been said either way or, or even uh, a yeah.
0: I'm still really into Brooks' theory that Step Brothers.
2: Yeah, the yeah Brooks' well. theory is that what we know about Liam's relationship with his stepfather, they seem very close, and he really seems to have re- he ha- he seems to have a large amount of love and respect for the stepfather, which makes me think he raised him from a relatively young age. So I don't know if, um, these would be, you know, if they were stepbrothers, if it was, you know, both from, you know, from single parent families from quite young, or if it was just, he happened to be a recent, recent edition stepfather, but he just happened to really get along with him or, or what, but I mean, it is plausible.
0: Yeah. I really like the idea that maybe the, the two families were very very close while they were growing up and what's happened is maybe Mason. as yeah. maybe as those marriages fell apart or whatever mm-hmm. circumstances surround obviously Liam's mother becoming single and and his stepfather becoming single who I don't want to say is Mason's dad but I would he love is it in your if brain. he was but yeah. in my in my head he is he is Mason's dad like it those and then those two families joining so I feel yeah. like it, it would work either way that they probably grew up together, and like very Kurt and Finn
2: close. Mm.
0: Yeah, yeah, kind of that yeah. sort of thing. Except for
2: that, Kurt and Finn weren't actually very good friends before they became. Yeah, friends, but yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, I think that it could um, could be a really cute, cute theory. I don't know if it would take too much explaining, like if the show wouldn't have time to, to handle something like that. But I think it would be it would be cute. He definitely seems a very close, you know, relationship with the stepfather, so. Yeah, it could, could be an interesting situation. But, you know, tell us what you guys have thought of Mason and Liam so far. Because, yeah, obviously if Liam's only just moved to the school, you know, he, he seems to have a vague circle of friends. Like it, maybe he's been there for a semester, but just lacrosse hasn't started yet or something like that. Um, but I think if they're, if they're being billed as a Scott and Styles 2.0 and having that closeness, I think that there is, is a long-running thing there. Um, however... Liam wanders off after uh, his gym workout, and he meets Derek Hale, the greatest troll in all the land, in the <laughs> locker
1: room, uh,
2: oh. in, a, in a, a fantastic scene, a wonderful, wonderful scene, where Derek <laughs> comes into the locker room and, and basically threatens Liam and you know, breaks his lacrosse stick and sees Liam run at him, and, and basically it's all a big test you know, Scott brought Derek in to sort of get a feel for Liam. And he's like, you're right, Scott, he is very angry. And they hold him up against a wall and Scott talks to Liam inside his head and Scott looks like a weird hot dad with his, like, slightly baggy button-down shirt. And it's all like, it's really like, wow. This is the scene that I keep saying that Scott feels like a benevolent dominatrix uh, because he does. And I don't know how to describe it better than that. He just seems like a really, like, placid, in-control, I don't know, like, sexy, weird situation. And I was just like, okay, yes, all right, this is fine. And um, anyway, but Derek, Derek, this is very important about Derek. Um, <laughs> because he, basically, we have him, you know, Scott kind of calms Liam down and he's like, don't worry, this is your lacrosse stick. We broke a fake one or, you know, someone else's or whatever. And um, they were just getting a feel for Liam's trigger, I guess, like, to how, how quickly he basically got cray cray it's pretty quick and they dismiss liam relatively fast he's kind of like off you go liam and it's the first time i guess you really see scott using an alpha power on liam like not you know having that whole like calm down talking to you inside your head liam i'm an alpha voice kind of thing which was fine but then as soon as they tell him to scuttle along Derek's all like oh my god scott I love you. You're brilliant. <laughs> well, more realistically, he says, he, he kind of looks at the way that Scott handled Liam, and then he kind of, his face starts to do a strange thing, and apparently Scott must have seen this before, because he knows that Derek is meant to be smiling. Um, He says, what are you smiling for? And then Derek properly smiles, not like the sleazy police station smile of season two. The first time Derek has actually smiled on the entirety of Teen Wolf. And, uh, And it was just like, you're going to be good at this. And then, unfortunately, that moment is very short-lived because Scott's like, no, I'm not. Are you kidding? This is insane. I'm crazy. And he wants Derek's help to basically be an alpha. And Derek is very much right now in the situation of, like, those who can do and those who can't do teach. That's Derek's life right now. And he's very happy being the can't do teach situation of the alpha world because he is absolutely terrible at being an alpha but seems to apparently have enough up... You know, he has enough theory up his sleeve to be able to help Scott. So, in general, this scene... Yeah, what were your thoughts, Donya? I really love this uh, older brother, younger brother mentor
0: kind of thing. The Derek mentoring Scott, mentoring Liam thing is just... I'm really into this. So I absolutely love that we're seeing... We're all, uh, we're almost seeing Derek blossom into the werewolf that he should be, um, and it's fantastic, like I love that we're seeing him kind of use all of the knowledge that we know that he has to help people, and I think that is where Derek is at his most comfortable, yeah, and i I really, really, really love this, like um, just this whole scene, and I think it's probably the most gift scene. That I've seen on Tumblr. Like every <laughs> every other post that I see. Coming around on my dash. Is literally Derek smiling. And Scott being like. Why are you smiling? <laughs> Don't look at me like that. Mm. And I just absolutely love it. This scene was just so on point for me. With um, how Derek's kind of. Moving along as a character. I think he's really coming into his own now. And I think. Despite all. Other things that are kind of happening to him this season, I think it's really, really nice to see this progression in him mm. and i I loved it a little bit last season as well where we started to see him moving into that mentoring role mm. a little bit more i'm I'm really loving seeing him embrace it now and yeah, I like that Scott very clearly went to Derek for advice. Yeah,
2: because he that like, you've the- got to come and see this kid and tell me what to do. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I like that Scott knows the limitations of what he can and can't do and what he does and does not know. I think that speaks a lot mm. to Scott's growth as a character as well. Knowing that there is someone that he can go to to get that information and that help. I like that they're not keeping things from each other anymore. So... yeah. Yeah, I just really like this was a really, really nice scene to illustrate it without it feeling too forced. Yeah. Like like it wasn't it wasn't kind of, hey look, this is this is how it is, blah, 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 blah mm. shoving it at you. I think it was just a very nice natural progression because we we know that they're gonna have a lot of issue with issues with Liam's temperament because with with obviously he's He's not hopped up on alpha juice. He's just hopped up on werewolf juice. Mm. It's. um,
2: Which I have so, some questions about, which we'll get to in a moment. But yeah. Yeah.
0: So that, that kind of boost in, in power and motions and everything in Liam is going to cause a lot of friction and a lot of frustration for Scott as an alpha, I think, because it's going to be very, very hard to kind of temp that down again. So knowing that he's got that support from, Derek to kind of guide him in the right direction. That that's really nice. I just have a lot of feelings about this scene.
2: (laughs) I just want to say as well, like you were just like, oh, it's such a beautiful big brother little brother thing. Just giving, gonna give a shout out to Courtney and Brooke, who (laughs) basically you know their reaction to that was just like, yeah, sure, little brother, brother, big brother. Let's call it that. Sure, we can call it that because (laughs) Brooke and Courtney will ship anything. You can put a Pepsi-Cola bottle and a bag of fries on the table, and if they've got a nice angle to each other, Brooke and Courtney will (laughs) ship those things together. No, I'm joking. I'm not trying to be mean. But they ship a lot of different Teen Wolf ships with an amount of passion that I could never muster. When I ship something, it's usually one ship in a fandom. I don't have a hardcore Teen Wolf ship because of this exact reason, because my ships are all those kind of ships where it's like you literally can't imagine that person with anyone else, it's an inescapable slightly desperate bond and it's just you know, you literally can't envision anything else and I know some people ship Steric like that and I I enjoy, I've enjoyed many a Steric fic and I think the dynamic could work but I don't think that the canon is there for the kind of desperation that I end up shipping if you know what I mean, (laughs) um uh, whereas Courtney and, and Brooke love so many different ships, like really I, passionately.
0: I I love a lot of ships as well. Like I I multi ship in this fandom like crazy. I pretty pretty much I can roll just about anything. Mm. I I don't know. I just kind of yeah. For me, it this this felt <laughs> slightly more on the platonic side for my tastes. <laughs> but but I can definitely see where Courtney and Brooke are coming from, and, and yeah. Yeah, I can. I can see where they're coming from. I just, for me, it was slightly on the more platonic side, which I, I enjoy with Scott and
2: Derek quite a lot. Anyway, we'll move on from there. Um, <laughs> Derek thinks it's more important to worry about the Deadpool list and them being on it than looking for Kate. Uh, basically, you know, Scott has a bit of a rant. He's like, I thought this was going to be the semester. I could finally focus on school. You know, I have a beta, Kate's back, Deadpool list. Derek's priority is apparently the the Deadpool list because all of them are on it and they're you know uh, worried about it and and my you know my reading of that originally was actually you know oh well you know he was like so, you know so's about your life Scott but you're gonna have to focus on this but Brooke who actually wrote this note for me pointed out you know she said look at him not being all motivated by revenge and murder he's growing up guys in terms of um Derek's main motivation being the, you know, let's protect everyone as opposed to let's go and do a rampage on Kate or whatever. So you know, that's we I mean we we obviously wants to know what the hell was going on with Kate, but um but yeah, I suppose there's that aspect of it as well.
0: I think with sorting out who's behind the Deadpool list and protecting the people on the Deadpool list, uh, everything is so interlinked this season coming from that Mm. that you know obviously kate is linked to that in that she knows clearly she's gotten she got the information about the hail vault and the actual information from someone linked to the benefactor whether it was the benefactor themselves or not Clearly she's linked to this in some way, thinking that resolving the Deadpool stuff, you will eventually see everything kind of coming together. So I guess also find Kate, find more to do with this Deadpool list or find more to do with this Deadpool list. And maybe they'll dig up more information about where to find Kate. Um,
2: well, I have some questions because it, Kate is on the the list. I mean, the the second half of the list that we see, yeah. second, third of the list, she's on it. So, I mean, is that a red herring or is she, does she know she's on it but she's not going to be included? Or was her breaking into the vault, you know, a kind of, if it really was a heist, did she know the whole story? Like, does she know she's a target for whoever was doing that? Or was yeah. it, you know, was did they set up the situation, you know, for for the vault without Kate exactly being a... A willing participant, if you know what I mean, if she didn't she thought she was just doing it off her own back, but it actually was was something else mm. because I mean everyone you'd suspect at this point, like all kind of is actually you know on the list, like if you know if kate is a, if Kate is on the list as a target, then you've got to question what her place in all of this is, really, so and we haven't seen her in a few episodes, we don't know what she's up to, yeah. I guess uh then yeah the next part uh the, the next important thing is you know that Lydia looking absolutely lovely with a tied up headscarf and looking very pale and and shaky and red headed and beautiful is drawing um trying to you know do her figure out all of her ways that sort of banshee messages have come to her before she's at school trying to do some drawing um Malia is sort of hanging around her like a <laughs> a bad smell or whatever it is you want to call it. She's hanging, she's basically literally hanging over her shoulder, um, you know, being like, come on, draw something, do it, you know? And, you know, Malia is just, you know, not the most compassionate person to help with. And, and I don't know if Lydia kind of calls that out correctly or not when she says, you know, you're just desperate to see if you're on the list to know if her, you're in danger, which is um, bringing up, you know, an, an interesting factor actually, because, a lot of the press in the break, you know, was all like, oh, Malia's going to have her own motivation, she's going to be manipulative, etc. And, you know, I was kind of imagining that for the character, but so far we haven't really seen that. She seemed, yes, she's got some social quirks, but she seemed incredibly, like, compliant in everything that she's been doing with the pack. Like, you know, she hasn't really seemed to be operating off her own motivations at all. Um,. And Lydia kind of, you know, brings up, oh, you just want to see if you're on it, like it's a bad thing. I mean, yeah, Lydia already knows she's on it and that Scott's on it and everyone. So that's, you know, that's whatever. But, I mean, how how are you feeling about Malia at this point and her, you know, what Lydia said to her and, and all of that uh-huh. past press about her being this, you know, person with secret motivations? Have you seen any of that yet? At this point, no, I have not.
0: Like, I think she's far too close to styles at the moment to Mm. kind of really want to push that so that for me that kind of made me stop and go oh but then I kind of I mean if I was a supernatural creature and I was living in Beacon Hills Mm. and I knew that there was a Deadpool list that had some kind of code to be unlocked and Lydia was the only person that we knew that could feasibly unlock it I would be feeling a little bit desperate to know whether or not someone was going to be coming for my head. Like and that to me is as maybe irrational and more um <laughs> more kind of I don't know someone who understands restrained. stuff and restrained. And, yeah, that sort of stuff. But you know if if you know that there is literally a hit list out there and your name could be on it and mm-hmm. that that is locked behind something. Mm. Yeah, I would want to know if my name was on that list. So I kind of, if that was Malia's motivation for wanting to press Lydia into mm-hmm. finding the other code word, I can understand that. Uh, I mean, if if someone is going to be coming and, and hunting you down, having some kind of heads up for that would be yeah. really
2: useful. Yeah, I mean, it, don't, it makes sense. I'm just, um, you know... Just a bit curious about about it so far. Um, you know, she suggests, uh, basically, you know, we could go back and do L- Lydia, as we've mentioned, kind of reads her the riot act in terms of, you know, you guys all knowing what's going on with you. I can't control this. I can't tap into it. I, you know, just hear voices in my head. Yeah, just hear voices in my head. And um, you know, Malia, because because Malia was suggesting, you know, we could go back and try some more drawing or we could do some you know music room you can and Lydia's like I'm not plucking the piano strings and basically Lydia Malia ends up kind of suggesting that they might need help from uh, you know another source another banshee Meredith um who is in Eichen House and you know they're kind of like oh we how do we get permission to visit her you know or you know only family are allowed to visit and all her family are dead because Obviously, Meredith knew um, Malia in Icon House, and then she sort of appeared in the school. She's interacted with Lydia um, mm. before, and we know that she seems to have some impression of the whole Banshees can speak to each other via the astral plane or whatever. And we'll see her again later in the episode. But, I mean, Meredith seems to be a little bit, I mean, Banshee or not, she seems to really be not, doesn't have a, a great grasp on reality, um, it's not just that she's a banshee. And it, you know, makes me worry, you know, we've I've talked about before, you know, Lydia's grasp on reality in terms of her, you know, thinking her car tank is empty when it's actually full or thinking her phone's ringing when it's not or whatever. Like, would that end up taking her to the point where she was sort of mental patient material as well? That's a
0: really good, that's a really good point because we're seeing it kind of, it's We're making her, her very frail.
2: Like, it's making yeah. her very... I know. think
0: frazzled is, like, the kind of one of the yeah. words I was thinking through this episode is that she's, she was, she's kind of coming apart at the seams mm. a little bit. And what I would really love to see is, uh, through the rest of this season, Lydia slowly getting a handle on it. Mm. Like, finding, I guess, I guess her anchor back to reality the way that the werewolves have it to their humanity. So I think it would be really, really cool for her to find that this season and find herself and and slowly get a grip on her own power rather than seeing her kind of de- degenerate really, really slowly. But it is a really interesting thing to see kind of play out and which way it's going to go. And I think kudos to, to Holland for really playing this out so, so well. Because it's just, Lydia this season for me has been absolutely fascinating.
2: Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's very sad, but yes. Uh, Yeah. Sort of back to Styles, who's basically just running around being stressed. You know, he's like, (laughs) you know, it's freaking me out. My name's not even on the list kind of thing. Like, he is kind of discovering things as he goes. He accidentally sort of discovers via coach that he thinks one of the assassins is on the lacrosse team because of the marks on the basically the hilt of the dagger that stabbed the girl. Like, you know, it sort of embedded and it, it was in the shape of the inside of a lacrosse stick. So he thinks that, what you know, there's a murderer that's hiding a knife inside the, the lacrosse stick and it's someone on the team. And, and obviously uh, with
0: the lacrosse game coming up. Yeah, and uh-oh. they kind of like,
2: oh my God, is the target me? Is it Liam? You know... To about Scott and 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 Styles is kind of like, do they even know about Liam? Like, who's been out there taking a supernatural census? Which is a very good question. Like, you know, who has discovered that? Um, you know, who the supernaturals are? You know, Kira's relatively new to the to the fold in in Beacon Hills, but you know, Liam is newer still. And we see Malia's name's not actually on the list. Um, once you know the second part is unlocked, she might be on the third. So who would bother with that? Like, you know, do they have to register somewhere? Like, is it like a quill, like a Hogwarts <laughs> quill that writes down the name of every baby, magical baby born that year or something like that? Just so you know, that's a little piece of Harry Potter canon in case anyone didn't know. this. no, I've never mentioned in the books, but that's how they find out at the muggle borns, there's a quill in enchanted in the Hogwarts that writes down the name of every, every baby born with magic. So yeah. Is that what they have? That's my theory. <laughs>
0: I don't, someone, it's got to be someone very seriously in the know who's mm. behind all of this. And I, God, yeah, we'll get into Benefactor theories later. But yeah, it, I I don't know. I don't know how people know because obviously that, that Wendigo family clearly was very well hidden in the fact that they very obviously been able to function as, normal humans because they came across completely normal throughout the episode no one was suspicious about it until obviously Lydia turned up there so you know a lot of these people have been living very normal very ordinary lives in Beacon Hills or in Beacon County and suddenly they've been outed now how? why, where, what's going on. We don't know, but someone clearly does and yeah. Yeah. Where that information is coming from is is I think for me is is just as interesting for me as knowing who the benefactor is. Like I want to know where they're getting this information from. Yeah.
2: I think that one of the um
0: what? No, I just had a new benefactor theory. It's Danny. But it's fine. It's Danny. No, no. Yes, no, it no, is. No, no, no. It's Danny. Right. I wouldn't actually mind if it was Danny because the whole hacking and transferring information thing. And, it's Danny. And it. It's different. But I Danny. just, I literally just came up with the. Okay, with go the on. And, no, 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 no. We'll get to it later. If we're going through benefactor theories oh, later, we'll do it then.
2: Okay, <laughs> fine. Hold on to it. Uh, I'm holding to it. Basically, so there's kind of, Kira kind of, makes the, you know, the point he, the, the boys are kind of like, who's hiding a dagger in the lacrosse stick? And Kira's like, shouldn't you, like, try to cancel the whole game if someone's going to get stabbed in the lacrosse field? And they're like, nah, we've dealt with worse, it's fine. We never cancel lacrosse games, we just have big fights in the middle of them. Um, And they meet the other team, basically, which is, Styles greeting the prep school kids, like, gives me life. Like, him being like, hello, rich prep students, welcome to our public high school Um, kind of thing, and Liam, you know, they see Liam going up to uh, tall, tall Brett, who is the ex, um, ex-teammate of him, I guess. And he kind of is all like, you know, Scott and Styles think he's going to go up and be all like, ah, anger at him. But he's kind of, he clearly has been in therapy and he tries to address the issue correctly. And he's like, Brett, have a good game. And Brett's just like, lol, no. And kind of yells at him. And he's just like, you messed up coach's car. And blah blah and we're going to rip you in half, and, you know, Liam's not very happy about that, and he kind of goes crazy. Styles and Scott kind of tackle him off to the showers, and put him under the cold shower to to help him out, basically. Um, Brooke has written, thank you, Brooklyn, um, <laughs> Liam Liam tries to be welcoming to Brett, gets mega-dissed, then mega-pissed. Thanks for <laughs> that, Brooke. Um, which I, I suppose it. is a, a good description. Um, She's then put the boys calm him down with a threesome in the shower. Not not quite, but uh you know, it's um a good, you know, a good interpretation. It's a valid reading of that scene. I love um, so much. Oh dear. Um <laughs> anyway, she So anyway, but anyway, uh, Scott, you know, pack mom styles and pack dad Scott basically bundle off baby Liam into the shower turn the water on him and sort of yell at him until he uh, calms down, which isn't exactly the right thing to do. Uh, you know, you, not not the most calming process. I might have put him in a nice warm shower or something like that. Yeah, sure. They sort of subdue him together, which I thought was a pretty big deal in terms of Styles being involved in that because he's not the alpha. He's also not, br- you know, unbreakable like Scott, whereas they really yeah. seem to be equal parties in that whole... Pinning him down, things. So not not meant, you know, not talking about Styles' strength particularly, but just his involvement and his position of dominance over Liam, and you know how he would be regarded in Scott's pack is, is quite interesting as well. Um, and you know that they, they kind of go back and forth. Styles is real stressed at this point as well. He's kind of like he's just not having any. He's just like I can't believe. I came back from being a demon for this. Like, he was like, like, he's just like, I just, I just can't. I just can't. Like, he was like, you gave super, you know, superpowers to a walking time bomb. They basically discovered that Liam, you know, he he isn't just like, oh, anger issues. He's, he has been diagnosed with intermittent explosive disorder, which is like a real serious anger issue. And he, you know, Styles is like, great, great. Literally, you're an IED. That's, that's fine. And it's basically... Um, this is kind of a, you know, not a Tourette's-level kind of tick or anything like that, but it's, according to the Mayo Clinic, it involves repeated episodes of impulsive, aggressive, violent behaviour or angry verbal outbursts in which you react grossly out of proportion to the situation. Road rage, domestic abuse, throwing or breaking objects or other temper tantrums may be signs of intermittent explosive disorder. Um, Okay, that's, I guess that's a, you know... An actual thing, and and you know he they find out that he's meant to be taking um, an anti uh, like an antipsychotic drug for that a particular one, and um, he doesn't take it because it makes him too tired to play lacrosse. And Styles is like, of course, duh, whatever. Styles is a snarky, snarky bastard, and I'm kind of madly in love with his everything right here. That's another note from Brooklyn, Um, (laughs) and. I had a slightly debatable gripe which you could – if my question is if he's taking an antipsychotic because something's literally wrong with his brain, would the bite not heal that in the same way it healed epilepsy?
0: Oh, that's a really good
2: question.
0: And it kind of throws up a lot it's...
2: of difficult questions about mental illness and I don't really know how to uh, – Approach that from further on but I just was like if he's medicated for this then and it's something to do with like chemical levels in his brain then I would think that the bite would have healed that but maybe it's not the same as that so I, I don't
0: maybe know. it's not that's a really that's actually I would love to sit down and talk to the writers about that
2: <laughs> I'm sure that that's not something I'm not, I necessarily thought of. Like it, I, I don't just, know.
0: But it's still really, really interesting. That that would definitely be something I would love
2: to mm. discuss more with them. In the you
0: know, like if you're
2: depressed, if you have clinical depression and you get the bite, are you not depressed anymore?
0: Wow.
2: Like that kind of thing. I've got a feeling the answer is no. I've got a feeling you can't escape your own mind. And epilepsy. I know more about mental illness than I do about epilepsy. So maybe it's the epilepsy that's more of a physical thing or or a different kind of uh, situation in the body. But it seems, you know, if he's medicated for a mental illness, I mean, it might just be, it might not even be a, a, a mental illness in the same form of like, you know, different chemical levels in the brain. It may just be that they were medicating him unnecessarily for, you know, problems that aren't necessarily medical. Like they're, they're, mental but they're not necessarily medical if you know what I mean. Yeah. I don't oh. know, but I kept thinking about it. So, yeah, a- any any thoughts on that subject are welcome. Don't don't hate me if I've said something completely wrong. I tried to uh to research the right thing and I am um, not meaning to cause offense or, you know, diminish anyone's various illnesses. I'm just curious again about what the bite would heal in terms of like physical things, or the, you know, the brain, or or whatever, um, so that was, that was my, my question, basically. Yeah,
0: that's something, that's definitely something to think on, and maybe keep an eye out on throughout the rest of the season, because it could be the, you know, maybe if it's, like, um, something particularly relating to emotions, yeah, the the bite kind of would heighten it, rather than, yeah. yeah. Hence it rather than yeah. take away from it, which is maybe why, you know, why is kind of getting problems that they
2: need yeah. to like you know, and, and you would think that if he was a werewolf, you know, like taking his anti psychotic medication wouldn't really affect him any any anymore anyway. So yeah, I guess it would be more of sort of figuring out, you know, which part of his anger is just nat- you know, natural or, or just personality in which part is actually caused by any kind of mental or physical imbalance and maybe the imbalance has gone away and but he's still real mad i don't know anyway i i found the the switch for him being like no no it's okay i can still play especially if you're there to scott (laughs) he's very like he's already in love with scott he's already like oh yes And I didn't know that he liked Scott that much already, and I think that that must be an automatic dominance thing. I think that that comes directly from the scene with Derek where Scott was kind of inside his mind being like, calm down, I am your master now kind of situation. Um, I think that he knows that Scott can control him and that he wants to rely on that. Like, not in a bad way necessarily, and not that Scott would be in any way abusive of control, but I think, you know... He he was not feeling anything positive to Scott last episode. He was not really feeling any, you know, we didn't really, you know, see him having anything this episode besides Derek pinning him against the wall. But I think now that he's experienced Scott's alpha control, um, I think that he knows that Scott has that power over him and he doesn't kind of hate it, if you know what I mean. I
0: think uh, a little bit from that as well is that maybe he realises that Scott has his best interests at heart yeah, as well, which may make him feel slightly more endeared towards Scott rather than on the back foot. Because I mean, his behaviour right after he bit Liam was, I guess it it would be like a little bit creepy to most people. Mm -hmm. So I think Liam was probably on the defensive (laughs) of that.
2: Most people would find it kind of creepy if you, they kidnapped you and wrapped you up in gaffes <laughs> in a bar. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. I was maybe trying to be a little bit diplomatic, but no, that's totally crazy. So Liam kind <laughs> of had, Liam kind of had every right to be as defensive as he was. Yeah. So maybe as we're kind of going through, when we're, we're just seeing the natural progression of him kind of going, okay, I can kind of see where they were coming from. He does have my best interests at heart. Mm. Maybe I should give him more benefit of the doubt than I am. But, you know, Liam, if you want into the Scott McCall fan club, you are going to have to pry the number one fan badge out of Derek Hale's cold, dead hands. Because he is not giving that up. (laughs) Derek Hale is the head of the Scott McCall fan club. Um, Though those styles will probably... Put his foot down and be like, "No, I was there first.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Anyway, there's going to be
0: a three-way fight for who gets to be president of the Scott McCall thing.
2: Oh Jesus, and I can I can imagine the fan fiction ending to that fight. Um. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't multi ship. I shun you people. No, I don't shun you really. I just can't can't be having it. So. Um, I, I can't get my head around all of these ships sometimes. Um, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> um, anyway, I, I think that Liam is is a cutie so far, and I really uh, – I don't know. It's, it, was, it was interesting that he, he is now sort of quite, uh, you know, reliant on Scott. So we have our first lacrosse scene, proper game of the season, you know, the lacrosse scrimmage, and it's apparently the first lacrosse scene that they filmed on the California set. Uh, which was exciting for the crew. I've got a feeling as well, Donya, again, sorry to that person that thinks we've got dumber since we went to the Teen Wolf set. I'm going to mention it again. We were meant to go on a certain day that then ended up not being the right day because they were doing a night shoot. And I assume this was the night shoot, if you know what I mean. Not that there aren't heaps of fricking night shoots in Teen Wolf, but um, this may have been the night shoot. And we, you know, we obviously didn't get to uh, like an on location night shoot. So, um on a scale of one to ten, how much would have you liked to go and see the lacrosse game? Oh my god, that would have been <laughs> so much fun. Oh, well,
0: maybe a bit time. <laughs> been crazy fun. Like I love I love that lacrosse is back yeah. so much. I'm so into lacrosse. Mm. And it's just ah I'm so excited that it's back and all the uniforms and the crazy awesome, like ah yes. i I love lacrosse so much, I'm so excited that it's back you know, cross country running I used to do that for a while I can dig it, but lacrosse yeah
2: lacrosse. so we have uh, many things going on in lacrosse, you know, we have obviously um, our little scene with Mason and Liam and the whole, you know I think that you could take him and then give him to me, which was lol, about Brett, our, our great enemy, tall Brett um, and and then yeah basically you know we have them you know Kira being like you know I'll keep an eye on you know Liam you keep an eye on Brett and you know them them all kind of trying to make sure no one gets stabbed on the field and Styles is mm-hmm. like I'm just gonna play lacrosse and I'm like yes. yeah yeah you do that um yeah. which was fun and then sort of stuff all goes a bit crazy and lots of uh you know, growling and threatening happens during the lacrosse. You know, um, even Scott kind of when they're doing a pass together. You know, says to Brett, "Look, can you just like leave Liam alone tonight? Because basically, they don't want him to get set off and then um, have have Garrett come after him." Or they suspect it's Garrett, by the way, just in case anyone missed the whole thing. Is they they tell Liam about the Deadpool list and they mentioned the DeMarco situation and he knows that Garrett paid for the keg. So even though Garrett was his friend or in his group or whatever, he, he is now on team suspect Garrett, which makes sense. And it was, it, you know, it's the, the fact that he's cooperating with styles and Scott so willingly, as opposed to being like, my good friend, Garrett would never do that. was uh, a nice, nice thing, I guess. Um, But yeah, moving back to the, the lacrosse. Yeah. Scott's like, lo- you know, Brett is like, lol, no to Scott about laying off from Liam. Uh, Kira gets in trouble uh for not passing the ball, which I thought was a, a really realistic little scene as well. Uh basically she kind of like, Yay, I've scored and coach pulls her out because she didn't follow the play. Uh but yeah. her getting benched means Garrett goes into the game. And then Garrett, you know, that Scott realizes that Garrett has, you know, brought out his knife, which they've put some wolf's vein on and, and stabbed someone and they assume that they it was going after Liam. Uh, but he didn't, and they were kind of all like, oh, he missed, it's all fine, it's it's all good. I, I, th- a few more dramatic things happen, Liam's arm get, gets broken on the field, and Scott kind of fixes it and makes him start healing again, but we don't kind of see the end result of of that until a little bit later, um, because we jump sort of in the middle of the lacrosse scene back to a couple of, of other scenes, um, which are also very important. So one of them was that Parrish finds basically S-S-S- Sheriff is meant to be going along to the game and he gets stopped by Parrish who found Meredith walking along looking for Lydia in the um, – basically walking from the coast to the high school. So apparently icon House is near the coast or wherever Meredith was. They they call Lydia and she comes down to the station with, with Malia and um, interrogates Meredith. Parish and, and the sheriff stay with her and they interrogate Meredith. And that sort of has Parish coming in and, you know, he's kind of like, why did you call Lydia? Is it because of the psychic thing? And sheriff is like, what? What? No one is psychic here. What? <laughs> what? and Not suspicious you know, at all. yeah And, and, and Parish gets right into it and kind of goes with everything that's, you know, that's happening um, through the kind of talking to Meredith about, you know, what Lydia needs. He clearly believes, you know, that Lydia is some sort of psychic or whatever it is that she does, and um and clearly knows that there's more to the situation than, you know, than a regular case. Um, so yeah, how did you feel about the whole Lydia coming to the sheriff's station and kind of Parish getting involved situation? I
0: just want everything to do with Parish ever.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I really, really love
0: Parish. I've gotten. St- stupidly attached to him like ridiculously attached so i kind of love it whenever we get more of him so i'm really interested to know how he found meredith like that seemed oddly convenient to me that he was the one who found her so i would really really love to know the the circumstances behind that i really want to know what Mm -hmm. his supernatural power is just because I want to know, because, uh, yes, I just really, really want to know how he came across Meredith. Yeah. Because he was in his uniform as well. So was he on patrol? Was he going back home from a shift? Was he? And he just came across her? Or was he drawn to her? Like, yeah. I,
2: at the moment, out of everything, I think he's another Banshee. Out of anything we've seen so far, if he's not something completely different, I think he's another Banshee. But I Derek, think if all, all, was... of the, all of the others would Derek. Derek's met him. Derek hasn't said anything unless Derek already knows and doesn't feel it's his place to out him or whatever. Like, yeah. Derek would know if he was a werewolf or a kitsune, yeah. apparently. So, you know. Yeah. I
0: don't think he's a werewolf or a kitsune. I don't think he's I also don't a think shapeshifter he's... in their things. But yeah. I don't know if he was a banshee, would he not be able to recognize that in Lydia?
2: Maybe he doesn't know what he is, if you know what I mean. Maybe he has no idea what the hell. He's just like, oh, my God, strange things keeps happening to me. What? Or he's Dorian Gray. Um, Because, like, I feel like it was, like, a really weird big deal that he was like, oh, I'm 24, I look so young. I don't know. (laughs) Last season. But anyway. Yeah. We'll just finish off that whole Meredith situation before we go to Derek and Chris. But, yeah, so Lydia's kind of getting – they're all getting really stressed um, at her because – Parish is sort of the one that solves the problem in terms of, you know, Lydia's like, here, you take phone calls, answer my phone, and tell me what's going on. And Meredith is like, plebe, it's not ringing. Like, you know, <laughs> like um, and, and they're kind of patronizing to her. And Parish ends up being able to kind of be like, so what do you do in this circumstance? Is there someone we can call to get the answers that Lydia's looking for? And they give, she gives him, a, you know, a phone number which is only four digits long, um, two, four, three, six. And they're kind of freaking out being like, Meredith, the number's longer than that. We need to, you know, and I'm like, dude, you're a magic banshee. I don't think that the number is going to be a real number anyway. Just press the numbers. Like it's fine. Anyway, it turns out that that, um, you know, Malia's one thing that she's retained from school is that sometimes numbers equal letters and she sees it on the phones. Um, And, like, is Lydia, hey, Lydia, what if the numbers stand for letters and basically works out that those numbers correspond with the keys uh, on a, you know, a regular nine sort of nine-pad touch phone or a 12, you know, 12-digit touch phone. And says Aiden, and that's the other key with another third of the list unlocked. So to round off that end of the story, basically, you know, Lydia unlocks the list, discovers that, you know, a few other people who are on it, they find out that Liam is not on the list and Malia's not on the list, but some of the people who are on the list include Mr. Parrish himself, as we suspected for a long time. So, yeah, Donya, were you more excited by discovering he was a supernatural or were you more discovered by discovering he had a first name?
0: <laughs> I was more excited that he has a first name.
2: Yeah, I think literally everyone is the same.
0: <laughs> I was like, I totally had we, him clocked as supernatural like ages ago. So for me, it's kind of like, uh, yeah, we kind of knew that. Whatever, Paris is supernatural. Well, his
2: first name is Jordan. Yay! <laughs> Jordan. <laughs> he has a Jordan. Jordan. Is worth, Jordan is worth five million dollars. Which is a lot. Like, Lydia's worth about six, and I think Kira's worth five, as opposed to, like, the random beta werewolves that are worth, like, 2500 or whatever. Um, yeah. So, yeah, he's worth $5 million. So he must be pretty good at whatever he does, or pretty powerful. Um, that's exciting. Yes. Any any theories about what he is, besides potentially an um, ongoing Banshee?
0: I don't... <sighs> This is, this is the thing that's really, really difficult is that there there haven't been enough clues I think for him to
2: figure out exactly what he is. No. Um, I think he's I'd darling like... and probably, possibly immortal. I think whatever he is is possibly immortal. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm confused as to whether I even think he knows about what he is or if he's just like, oh weird stuff happens and I don't really know why. But I don't know. I I'd love like him. him to be some kind of witch. I don't know. A witch would have to actively be practicing though, and I don't know if yeah. he's actively practicing or if it's just, he's just someone that has power. Like, I don't know. Like, do druids count as supernatural or do they just count as people who can do like stuff?
0: I think um, druids have more. I think the the way that it was explained before is that druids have more talent for manipulating objects that are magical mm. and are able to do more with them whereas objects that are magical can be used by other people just mm. not with as much skill or with yeah. as much success mm-hmm. so i think druids have more of a talent for it rather than okay. actually being magical themselves uh just more of a more of a talent for manipulating the objects all right that are magical. well probably not so, druids uh, then
2: but that's my closest idea to a witch is like to stuff like what Jennifer did, if you know what I mean. Like yeah, yeah. Yeah, like um so I don't know. I mean I just love him and I just need him to be fine. Please just don't harm a hair on his precious We've head. literally said the same sentence. Both of us have said the same sentence to Alyssa Clark, and both of us have <laughs> yeah. a response of torture and pain yet to come. So, yeah. yeah, I don't want Parrish to be evil or hurt or anything other than cherished and loved
0: <laughs> by
2: Will Graham, as I have mentioned in the past. Yes, you um, have. <laughs> sorry. Um, or Derek. Derek is fine. Uh, but, uh, but any, or anyone, Lydia, you know, I just want him to be safe and happy and adorable and uh, delightful and, all of those good things, but they're gonna do something horrible to him, and, and I'm gonna be very mad. I'm upset. I'm but yeah, be so, upset. so going in a bit of a circular motion back to lacrosse, they give a, they give a call through to uh, to Styles because Lydia's unlocked the list, and they discover the other person, um, who was actually the person Garrett was going after on the field was, uh, Brett. Brett, tall Brett, also a beta werewolf apparently, and he gets stabbed with the uh the basically um That's another weird knife thing in the yeah, bottom of his the weird knife that... thing. And, and and Scott was all like, oh my god, no one got stabbed. They you know they missed or they say, oh my god, they you know they stabbed Brett. They they missed. He got Brett instead of Liam. He missed. Turns out he didn't miss, and he was going for Brett the whole time because Brett was on that list and worth a million as opposed to five hundred thousand or two hundred and fifty thousand even though he's a beta, so he must have been relatively important in some way. Um, And he got stabbed um, basically enough to sort of be incapacitated and taken off the field. You know, he went inside um, and then Violet chased after him with her, you know, stringy beheader and uh, tried to uh, kill him. And and she looked really – you kind of saw her reflection in the mirror as she was kind of, you know, sawing his head off with the string – and she looked like she was relishing that. She seems to really like doing the killings, which is always a creepy aspect of a character. So, um, yeah, no, not the biggest fan of Violet at the moment.
0: No, me either. Like, she's very, very into killing people, I, I mm, mm. which... But that makes her... I think that makes her a really interesting villain, the fact that she... I don't think there's anything that could be redeemable about that, how much she enjoys it. Yeah. And I, in, in villains, I actually really enjoy that if they are unapologetically doing it for their own, their own reasons. And for them, their reasons are completely rational and for them, they believe in them wholeheartedly and there's nothing that can sway them. For me, those are the most interesting villains when they believe they are the heroes of their own story. That that for me is where villains become very, very interesting. Like I, I do like villains who are more in a morally grey area who can go either way. I also really enjoy that. But the ones that I like, I love the most, I love to hate the most, are the ones that just are unapologetically evil because they see themselves as as doing right in their own story.
2: Yeah. So. I think she didn't end up actually taking his head off no. all of the way. I think that was when Scott managed to bust in and save the day, basically knocks Violet out against the wall um after she, you know, tries to do the same to him, he basically busts his way out of her, you know, wire thing and kind of knocks her out. So maybe they'll be able to get some answers out of Brett pretty soon. Uh, I know that a lot of people's quirk with this episode, a lot of people's sort of complaint with this episode is that Scott didn't notice another werewolf on the field, like with Brett, you know, when he was able to smell, you know, even Isaac being turned back in season two. But, you know, whatever, I don't. You know, I don't have. I don't. I'm not, have, don't know I'm not sure. Like, this. I don't know if he was more concerned, and more
0: wrapped up in Liam and keeping an eye on Liam, and and mm. focusing so heavily on that yeah. that he just blocked everything else out. Mm. Because for him, I don't think. I mean, they didn't really know that. Brett was going to be a target so their, their focus was pretty much almost entirely on Garrett and on Liam so I don't know if, if you're focusing your senses so wholly and entirely on those people that you're going to completely just be blinded to the fact that there was anyone else I mean is that a possibility that if you are trying to focus yeah. so much on something else that you're not you're not noticing. engaging you're not engaging your senses enough to notice anyone else I which suppose. could yeah. be another lesson for scott if that is a thing that he needs to remain more open to his surroundings rather than trying to kind of tunnel vision everything down into yeah. one kind of thing so that that could be a possibility of where it was going yeah obviously we're not we're not sure why he didn't notice. Yeah, it
2: may have just been a bit of an error, or it may have been that he is, yeah, obviously, you know, he could smell Liam and therefore, like, was just assuming that any, oh, bit of a werewolf smell was, you know, was Liam. I I don't know whether it's just like, oh, just because you can smell that well if it's engaged all the time or whatever. But, yeah, I don't know. He was definitely trying to find out about Isaac, so, so, yeah. Yeah,
0: or whether... does each werewolf have its own distinct smell Mm. like do they all smell a little bit different or is it like one all-encompassing smell and I'm gonna like I'm gonna make a really terrible terrible joke is it all like just a wet dog smell like is it just is it just that kind of scent though is it just all just one all-encompassing scent Mm. that is werewolf or are there subtleties to it because we don't know so for example there is if if Liam is on the field and he smells so much of werewolf to Scott because hey that's my that's my werewolf i made him this is the scent you know yeah. if that if that was all that Scott was focusing on if 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 werewolf just smells like one thing mm. then he probably would have just been like no it's Liam it's it's just Liam
2: yeah i, I don't, mean i don't know either it's it's not something we really are going to have an answer for at the moment um, but, yeah, Scott manages to do the Phantom of the Opera thing and keep his hand at the level of his eye so that the thing doesn't... Uh, <laughs> random musical theatre reference, which probably about three people listening to this. <laughs> <has left laughs> but, uh, yeah, he, he manages to keep the string from choking him. Busts out. I hope he kept it. I hope he doesn't just leave it on the ground for her to find once she wakes it up, if you know what I mean. She needs that toy taken away from her. Like, um, I was just like, you better not just leave that there, like, when wait for her to wake up and get it. And there's, you know... Big debate about whether he should have just killed her, but I don't think that he's really that kind of uh, a dude. No,
0: so. I think uh, justice through the law is probably
2: yeah. But she, he, she's things. killing.
0: Who's the law?
2: Where's so the sheriff? Is the law? Where's like, werewolf I am court? Law. <laughs> where's werewolf court? Like how does how does she get but reprimanded for that?
0: In in the eyes of the law, she has killed. Innocent people. Real, innocent, real people who... And she has to explain that. She's like, out. oh, they
2: were werewolves, and that, a werewolf killer was giving me money. They're like, sure, honey. Okay. Yeah. No, no. So, I mean,
0: she she's not, as far as we know, she doesn't have any supernatural abilities. She is just... Plain old human going around killing yeah, it's people. It's not like so, these people
2: didn't exist in society or anything.
0: Yeah, these people yeah. existed. These were real people. the The authorities are aware of them being killed. Yeah. They can now link her back to mm. to those with because they've got they've got the weapon. Mm. They've got yeah. the murder weapon. Well, so, yeah. you know, she could still be tried in the, in the face of
2: that. Must be fun. Yeah. So yeah, so Scott they now know that it's definitely uh, Garrett and Violet at least for for some of them and and they knew about the mute. You know, I'm wondering if how many other assassins were going to come and see that what a piece of the the 117 that might be taking over some parts of the list as well. Um hopefully not too much too many more. They're all a bit stressful, but uh but yeah, there's still plenty of people for them to kill, so that will be fun. Now The the name the keyword Aiden is obviously another person killed by the Oni who was very uh, important to Lydia. Yeah. So, who's the third name?
0: Yeah. This is the thing. I've been trying to puzzle over this and think. I saw
2: a creepy thing on Tumblr that would say it would be it would end up that the third name was Styles. And then the Nigitsune would turn around and be like, haha, it has been me, the Nigitsune, the whole time. Except it was written much more dramatically and creepily than that. That, like, he's been playing them the whole time and that Styles is actually the, uh, the, was dead and, and that the Nigitsune had been playing a long game in, in Styles' body. So oh, let's hope be it's not so that. creepy. Um, because I think they don't want to go back to that. Let's cross our fingers. But yeah, are we thinking it's all going to be people killed by the Oni? Like, how many more people were killed? Like, I don't know. They seem to also be very
0: at the moment they're very closely linked to Lydia. Yeah. Like they are deaths that are very close to her. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know because the other, if that if it's specifically deaths, the only one that's vaguely linked in that has happened over the last couple of seasons is uh, and has happened on screen is is Boyd. Yeah. I mean, but that's not necessarily linked specifically to Lydia. To Lydia. So that if if that is our pattern, that doesn't necessarily fit. If we are talking about links to Lydia and it's loss, not in the sense of death, but just in emotional loss as well. Mm. It could be Jackson mm. in that, you know, that was for all intents and purposes her true love. We learnt that at the end of season two. That was Like her love kind of saved him. Mm. And that was, that was a link. And that emotional loss for her was a a huge turning point. So it could, it, it could be that kind of angle Mm. rather than just death. If we're going with the things linked to loss and Lydia, that would be my other guess is Jackson.
2: Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. So, oh, do you think we're going to find it's, out straight next week, or do you think we're going to have to wait a while for that one? I don't know. I think we're going to have to I wait. Hope, I hope it's next week.
0: It won't. Be. I would love, I would love, I would love for it to be next week. But then I'm, yeah, I'm basically going to be puzzling over what deaths we've, we've had.
2: I'm also wondering what. Maybe it's someone who hasn't died yet, and they're going to die, and then they're going to be on the list. <laughs> anyway, um, let's let's not, no. shall we? But I, I don't know. I mean, I think that it's potentially, you know, who else could be on the third list? You know, Liam and Malia, if the people happen to know about Liam and Malia. But, like, you know, if, if we're counting them out, then there's actually a bunch of people that aren't on the list yet. But maybe Lydia will discover, like, her mother's name or something like that because the whole Banshee family, like, thing. Like, there's clearly going to be someone important on the third list that we don't necessarily know about, if you know what I mean. Haven't we been told that Lydia has a sister? Yeah, ages ago. I don't know if they even remember that they said that, but yeah.
0: Yeah. What if she's on the list? Yeah.
2: I could be, could be good. Ah, I don't know. There's so much potential for mystery but what if Greenberg's on the list? Oh my God, please guys, if you haven't if you haven't like locked down that episode yet which you probably have because I know you've finished filming the whole season, put Greenberg on the Greenberg list, on the list. <laughs> never commented on it again but just put him on the list. Yeah. Um, anyway <laughs> anyway, yeah so that I mean that's sort of all we have in terms of the list and and you know Meredith obviously being being present, parish handling her. Um, and then the Lydia, um, you know, Lydia's whole situation going back through to the lacrosse game. The other aspect to round this episode off is Chris Argent returning uh, to be with his best friend and, you know, adopted son, Derek Hale. Um, <laughs> Derek takes Chris to his vault to show him what Kate was after. And he shows him the the Triscolet that Kate was trying to steal. And this is the scene that we saw filming. <laughs> And um, it, was, it was not, you know, it, it, it was not the most action-packed scene of all time. It was just some shots of them talking and turning that Triscolet over in their hand. And it took such a long time. This is the thing that we were talking about way back in the day when we did our, our sort of um, recap from being on set where we were like the kind of precision that goes into filming. The shot of sort of Chris holding that Triscolet in his hand, sort of turning it over, just the shot of his hand and then handing it back to Derek. They took like twenty minutes to get that one like hand turning over thing right like like seriously like it was it was ridiculous not ridiculous in a bad way but it's like and it's really when, hard yeah when and
0: uh, this this is the one moment that I will take away and cherish for the rest of my life <laughs> when they finally got the shot that they knew was gonna go into the episode when they when they were like yes. Jen Lynch cut that scene by just going fucking A and that is gonna stay with me for the rest of my life because that was just the perfect summation of like how she works as a director but also just the entire kind of feel of that whole set mm. was just so laid back and so casual that is probably the one thing yeah I, I will always cherish and take away from that is is just that one line yeah (laughs) that was perfect like genuinely did take so long to just get it right i think it was because there was like a hair that kept getting on lying
2: onto the triscolet or something and yeah so they kept
0: having to rub it off and yeah so it took them a long time to get that because it just kept getting that like a little bit hairy
2: it was yeah it was really it was really weird the whole experience was very strange but it was cool it was great um, and i mean so yeah so this is the scene we saw um uh, yeah we you know we got to yeah as i said talk to sort of jr and hecklin you know in between takes of this scene basically um so we were there we were there in the background of that scene on uns- you know on the other side of a wall not yeah. not not being seen on the camera obviously um, yeah. but we were there and and yeah, it was it was so weird. But yeah, um, as I said, if I can, I genuinely can't remember if I've mentioned this before or if this is something that I wasn't allowed to say until this episode aired or until we discovered the 117 million. But yeah, this we were talking to Tyler Hecklin about this, you know, about the vault, and he sort of mentioned that he was just like, yeah, 117 million dollar kind of. He kind of dropped that bomb, and and I didn't realize he was talking about a legitimately like, correct number, you know, I thought he was making a, you know, a crazy amount of money number until the episode title came out of 117, and I was just like, oh my god, spoiler. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, um, but yeah, he we were kind of like, oh, so he has, like, a magical bank vault filled with, like, treasure money, and he's just like, yeah, because, like, we, I always knew he was loaded, but, and I was just like, yeah, but I thought he lived off the insurance money. He was like, yeah, exactly, like, he collected insurance for the deaths of, like, 11 people, and that's what he'd originally thought about Derek being, you know, somewhat rich. Uh, but apparently he's even richer than that just based on, like, weird old family money, which we still don't really know how they obtained. And that vault's full of some weird stuff besides the money, like like skeleton small animals in glass boxes and all that kind of stuff. But uh, aside from that, Derek basically shows Chris, you know, he he, comes, he brings Chris to the vault and shows him the Triscolet and said, you know, this is what... Kate was trying to steal you know we use it to train young werewolves uh to kind of control the shift and I was like does Derek really still think Kate was really after the Triscolet when Peter said that it was fake like does was that a lie of Peter's was that meant to be a bluff like is the Triscolet a really important thing like does Derek not think that it was part of a like if the whole thing was a heist was Kate, like I said, was Kate an unwilling participant? Did, you, you know, was she, did they kind of follow Kate and Derek and they were like, oh, okay, when we go in there, we'll break in behind them or, you know, we'll, you know, or we'll trick her into thinking that she needs the Triscolet and then we'll, you know, we'll bust in as well. Like, was she a knowing part of the heist? Like, or did she genuinely I, want the Triscolet?
0: I think she genuinely wanted the Triscolet because uh, we got that line that was... um from Chris saying that Kate hasn't always been particularly great at control.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So knowing that even as a human, she didn't have much control Mm -hmm. that desperation. Now that she's got all of this, this, uh, this power behind her to control herself. um, I think she was latching on to whatever information she had. And if, whoever was behind that heist to try and get some kind of access to the vault, which apparently they needed Derek for, which mm-hmm. is why the whole de-aging thing happened and so on and so on. You know, using her to use Derek to get in, they had to give her a reason for wanting to go into the vault, but try and make her think like
2: it was for her, her benefit. Idea, yeah.
0: It's her idea. Cause she's such a fiercely independent Mm. Character who who works on her own morals and almost her own version of the code, her own skewed kind of bastardized version of it. Mm. That yeah, she had to she had to have some kind of reason for wanting to go there and giving her that that object that that thing to focus on that that thing to search for. I think that's gonna be. Something that they planted there, and she's placed the importance on that. Yeah. I don't think necessarily that she she knew about the heist, mm. that she was involved in it in a level that meant that she got a cut or whatever. Yeah, I think they've just kind of they've used her capitalized like capitalized on, a on chest it. Book. Yeah, yeah, they've kind of they've dropped those little. Cause hints. She's they on the list. That, that, she's yeah, on yeah, the she,
2: second part of the list that's been revealed. So, and she's worth like. Fifteen million or twelve million or something, so so yeah, I don't think that they're looking to spare her or anything, yeah, um, yeah, I mean, look, Brooke, sorry about this, she Brooke has written it looks like Chris picks up on the fact there was a heist, something's going on here, discuss, please, I don't know what you're talking about, sorry, I don't think. Chris is involved, not involved, I but like really... picks up on the fact that there was a heist. I, I don't know. I mean, Derek knows they, were, they know the money was stolen. I'm not. Yeah, not sure. It's what not she exactly
0: means a here. secret. It's not. Yeah, it's not exactly a secret that they've had the money stolen from them. And I imagine that off screen, Derek has probably explained.
2: Yeah, I mean, it may be that Derek started to, you know, Chris started to put together the pieces of oh, um, Kate. You know, was tricked into this as well, and 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 all of that kind of stuff. Uh, my question, I guess, if if Kate genuinely wanted the genuinely wanted the Triscol-A from control. Number one, was Peter bluffing? Is it a real power device, or was was he telling the truth about it being a fake nothing trick thing? And number two, if she really wants it for control, as, aside from de aging Derek for some bizarre reason. Is Kate really, like, is she bad? Is she being particularly evil? Like, d- is she de-aged Derek, which was creepy as hell, uh, but perhaps she doesn't know any better ways to handle her emotional problems, and that's the only way she knew how to get through. She knew she couldn't get through to the real Derek, but she genuinely genuinely wanted the help of the um, the Triscale and wants to control herself and be a good girl. Seems a bit far-fetched, though, doesn't it?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think that with the Triskelion, coin I think that what it what it is to the supernatural community is probably one of those myths that's gotten blown out of proportion a little bit mm. so it's like almost chi- Chinese whispers through mm. the supernatural community of sorts the the Hales have probably used this as a learning tool but the way that it's kind of dispersed out Is that it's an object that gives them greater control over the shift and over their emotions, Mm. whereas it's just for the Hales as an internal thing. It was literally just a tool to teach them how to control that for themselves, and almost as a as a anchor point until they figured out what their anchor is for themselves. But you know, you know how things like that get. You know, you if you place an a an important yeah, certain like over time. Yeah, people Donya, are gonna start have you ever thinking seen that episode
2: so of The Simpsons where have you, where Lisa's like, you know, I could tell you that this rock keeps tigers away and it wouldn't be true. I could just tell you that. And, you know, it, it, it's nothing. It's just it's just a rock, right? And Homer's like, yeah. And, she, you know, just a stupid rock. Yeah. And then she's like, yeah, but you don't see any tigers around here, do you? And And Homer goes, Lisa, I would like to buy your rock. And it's like literally the same situation if that makes sense like it's like yeah it's it's just putting an idea onto it and and you know because it seems to be in conjunction with the result you know you can spin it that way and I'm wondering if we'll learn more about that if we learn more about this other pack that seems to have their own focus method which is the whole the sun the moon and the truth if you know what i mean yeah um which seems to be their you know mental version of of potentially focusing on the the Triscalian thing where they recited the alpha be- you know beta omega situation i think yeah. you know the key to controlling the shift is just like meditation and that's that's pretty much uh, just a tool for that maybe yeah but anyway they kind of had that discussion of, you know, oh, okay, Kate needs to go to werewolf jail because, I don't know, she's done a murder or whatever she's, <laughs> you know, They need to pick her up and do something with her. And, and Derek's like, yeah, but could you not take her to werewolf jail? Because I want to know what the hell she did. And what she did is, you know, at first, you know, he he was kind of like, oh, she's taken something from me. And he was like, at first I thought it was something to do with my past. Like, she, it, clearly, and there's the thing, I said in another episode, God, are we ever going to hear Derek? this Derek, Tyler Heckland Derek, like talk about the Paige situation and he doesn't like, this is the closest he ever comes. You know, he says, I thought she took away something from my past. Like she took away the experience of, of killing Paige and like, you know, taking away a part of his history. But it wasn't that, you know, apparently the, the shift from blue eyes to, to golden eyes, um, is the first slipping backwards, um, of his, loss of his power apparently he's now losing his sense of smell as well it's not not coming as strong and he is apparently having his werewolf powers stripped away from him which is odd is that something you'd be interested in seeing happen him becoming Um, human i
0: i don't know because for me derek's a born wolf so that's all he's so cruel it's so So it's, it's yeah. It is really cruel. It's yeah. one it's one more thing on the, the tick list column of why Derek, Derek Hale sucks. Maybe yeah. If he became it's a specific-
2: human, he could just go out to the movies and get Starbucks and just be like, la-da-da-da-da. Who yeah. cares about anything else? <laughs> my, my
0: worry about this is if he's losing his power... Is it being siphoned off to someone else?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, from the trailer, it looks allegedly like Peter is getting stronger. So, yeah. So Peter doing it? Like, is it like if Peter and Kate secretly married and like the parents of Malia? And that would be creepy seeing <laughs> that <and> She slept <laughs> oh, with Derek as well. But yeah. oh Anyway, I don't know. I, I assume that it's going somewhere else. I assume that it's kind of a fading off thing in the same way that he kind of Healed Cora, I guess, with his alpha power. This could be a sort of slightly more extreme situation. I don't know. He looks like, you know, even his reaction to that was kind of very, uh, a little, you know, a little bit desperate, but very matter of fact. Like he's not, he's not having a stompy fit about it or a rage, rage fit. Uh, and poor Derek, it's just like he's used to shitty things happening to him
0: by now. I know. And the thing <laughs> is, is that. The thing that I'm really enjoying Just, is no. that he was yeah, he was settling he's settling so much into being a beta again mm. and he's settling so much into her into what he's like figuring out what his role is and who he is and mm. and where his power like I say his power where where his nature fits best. Yeah. In terms of who he is as a person and suddenly he starts getting comfortable with that and he's losing it. Like it's slowly slipping out of his fingers that kind of what what he can do as a werewolf, so that that for me is really tragic and heartbreaking, and I am interested to see where they're going with it and what what that'll mean for Derek as a character, but also. No, don't don't hurt him any more than he's already been hurt. Come
2: they on. will they will. I know worry. they will. They think it's funny. I know they and will. I think Tyler Hoechlin yeah. thinks it's funny. So we're allowed to think it's funny. <laughs> oh my god, I had a dream. I had a dream about Tyler Hoechlin the other night. It wasn't like a sexy dream. It was a it was a nice. <laughs> it was a nice platonic dream. But anyway, he was laughing so much about Derek's tragedy in my dream and I loved it so much. Um it was great. Um but
0: um yeah, so he's losing his powers. So oh, but yeah. this is the thing is uh before when when um, obviously the press screeners went out and everyone mm. was saying about the end of the pi- like the first episode back that you know there was a big thing with with Derek that was happening mm. that yes
2: revealed. Big that obviously Derek that was revealed, revealed. Yeah. That,
0: that was kind of fan fictiony um there was like a 50/50 split in the guesses between um like Derek becoming human and, and something else. I think it did eventually leak about the Derek being de-aged thing. Yeah. But the the large proportion of the fandom was on the side of it being Derek losing his powers and becoming human, and that's how they would have found him. Mm. So I guess you weren't wrong, guys. Clearly this is a throw throwback or a out of, of that or something yeah. to do with that so I guess it was both so everyone was right everyone
2: wins poor Derek or, I mean it's Derek. kind of <laughs> it, his, his sort of fear about losing his powers it is cruel given that he's a born werewolf or has his power taken away but it's also a little bit like I remember back in the first season, Derek being like, "Derek, you're a little bit werewolf elitist. Like, you're a little bit like you think hum- humans are not worth your time, and the only werewolves are good. You're being a little bit like humans are mudbloods kind of thing. Like, not to a you know Death Eater extreme, not not in the close you know not in the slightest. But he did seem to have a like, oh, puny humans, werewolves are king kind of thing. So you know, yeah. Derek." You know, maybe you should learn that you know being a normal person isn't the worst thing that could literally happen to you, but it but given that he's a born werewolf and it's it, it'd be like if someone changed your you know your race or so your you know historical background, it would be like if someone ha- somehow had the power to take your ingrained and born culture and makeup Heritage away from you like stuff, yeah, yeah it would suck, but he was a bit snobby about werewolves like before. Yeah. Um, oh
0: wow, that's a really interesting parallel to draw. Yeah. That oh wow, that makes me feel even worse about yeah, this. He was oh really he,
2: in the first season he was very much like you know you know what I mean? Like he was very like, you know, you should the obviously the bite is a gift, but like, <laughs> like um but yeah, he was very kind of pro werewolf and and not anti-human but like oh then you know nothing compared to werewolves kind of thing so you know he, he clearly is very 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 appreciative of being a werewolf and it is very much a part of his dna and his his history culture religion race every aspect of his you know Sort of creed is werewolfiness, so it does suck. Like it is his identity more than it would be for a someone who was bitten, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So I guess I mean the last, uh, last big aspect of this is, you know, after Chris splits off from his new BFF Derek, um, he's found by Araya and her little gang of um, of people, the Calaveras, and they want him to go track down. Um, Kate. They harass him about about the entire situation with, um, with her and with the whole, you know, Chris going soft thing and she's like dude, we have a code. The code is we hunt those who hunt us. You're going to have to remember this. And they basically kind of badger him about this until, you know, they all point guns at each other for a while. And they badger him about that until he kind of gives in and he kind of recites the code and I don't know whether he's just going along with them or whether he's having a change in heart, Um, you know, because she's very like, say it, you know, for for your wife Victoria and for your daughter Alison, you know, and he should have turned around and been like, bitch, my daughter Alison made a new code and she'd be really mad at you right now, but, you know, that yeah. didn't happen, so what did you think um, that was?
0: I, personally I think it it's not him going back to the old code I think that this is just him doing what he needs to to get out of this situation. That's kind
2: of what I thought as well, yeah. I know a Chris, lot of people like, are worried, but that's kind of what I thought.
0: I, as- I don't think Chris is going to go back to that code. I think he trusts in Allison and Allison's legacy mm. of what she's given back to him and changed in him more than he's going to want to go back to that. Mm. I mean she gave me really really big um, like vibes of Victoria in this scene though I'm
2: sure it's her mother I I can't get over the fact because isn't the hunt her those who hunt us isn't that Argent? like isn't that their family or is it all hunters I think it's
0: I think it was supposed to be suggested that it's all hunters but it could very well
2: be that it's just this branch of I the way she talks to him I'm she's I don't know if it's just, like, a mentor figure, but I swear it's his mother or Victoria's mother. I just, I don't, like... I think, I personally think it's more likely to be Victoria's mother. Yeah.
0: I don't know why I'm getting that vibe. It was, I think it was because of the whole, the say it thing. Yeah. It's the say it that, yeah. because she's done that. Victoria has oh, done yeah. that before. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, like, Victoria,
2: know you know, I I don't know that much about, um like, South American culture inter- or, or South American um sort of biological makeup. Like, I don't know. Victoria was obviously very, very, very pale and uh, and had blue eyes. And I yeah. don't know whether, you know, if her dad was American and her mother was Mexican, if she could be that that pale or whether Hispanic people, you know, have different hair or eye colour. I, as I said... I said this at the beginning of the season, there's so much like South American and Hispanic culture that I know nothing about because it's just not something that is like a big multicultural thing anywhere except for America. And so all of the Spanish pronunciations I'm going to ruin and I don't know too much about the, um, you know, the Hispanic yeah. lifestyle. But, you know, I don't think it's implausible that, you know, she could have been brought up in America and, and it could be her – her mother, or, you know, her her grandmother, or something like that, so, yeah. Related
0: to her in some way, I think the mannerisms and the yeah. style of speech reminds me so much of Victoria, that mm. there's got to be some link back there, in
2: some way, shape, or form. Yeah, so, no, I agree, I I'm, I'm yeah. just, I just feel like she keeps showing up, and it's all too cozy, maybe it's like a mentor thing, maybe she's like every, maybe she's like the Dumbledore of of hunters but i don't know she's someone um and anyway so yeah that is what i thought as well that chris was kind of like oh i guess i'll go along with you for now but people seem to be worried that he's legitimately going bad again and i mean he could be but
0: i don't think so i think his ties to i mean derek now And and scott and scott and obviously Allison meant so much to him. I don't think that he would sully her memory like that yeah. by just forgetting about what, like, they, he wouldn't. I don't. I, I believe mean, in Chris enough, and the, and he, the force for change that Allison was in his life that he wouldn't so easily go back to that. I genuinely believe that it was just for him to get himself out of that situation yeah. so that he can still. Help because if he didn't, yeah, I, I, they probably would have put him down.
2: Yeah, oh, I don't know if they would have killed him just for that, but they might have, honestly. I know. So you're like, Yeah, they would have. <laughs> um,
0: I'm, I, I honestly believe that they probably would have, like, cool, seems that reasonable. Um, uh, totally reasonable.
2: Now, was there anything else you had about this particular episode before we go on to a little bit of theory? Um,
0: no, other than I need to find more people who are really enjoying Parish and Lydia as like a oh shit. Yeah, I I'm do just, I mean I'm literally oh that's all I'm reblogging right now. I'm if you not... go on my personal oh, Tumblr, no. it's literally it's Parish or Parish and Lydia right now. Yeah. That's literally all I'm... <laughs> Uh I'm I mean, loving I'm
2: it. I'm not so much. reading I'm not reading massive like fan fictions or anything like uh because I don't really have time for that right now, but um but yeah, I definitely vibe it and I'm very interested in it. And I'm just I'm interested very in interested in it. it. And yeah, I'm I'm weirdly obsessed with the age dynamic as well, which is they're not gonna have time to address on the show, but for some reason, um like like steric fanfictions that, that end up like having the ages being have being fiddled with, not that we really know how old Derek is, but where they're yeah. like, Oh yeah, yeah, the same age, there's only two, you know, two years, but yeah, I don't want that. I want to read about how it's weird that Styles is sixteen and Derek is twenty two. Like that I want that. Like um I not I'm, that I was I'm interested really in twenty two year olds when I was sixteen, just by the way, but now as a twenty eight year old I'm weirdly in obsessed with like age gap things. But yeah. Uh, I think it's
0: I think that is a very, very interesting kind of commentary that you can make on mm. relationships and experience differences and yeah. Like and and I don't mean experience differences for anyone out there who's I don't mean mean like that. I mean like yeah, yeah. So I mean it in terms of life experiences Mm. and for me the fascinating thing with age differences in a supernatural setting Mm. is that their experiences in life are going to be wildly different to our experiences. They are essentially living in a war zone Mm. and how that changes you as someone younger is utterly fascinating to me so where you are 16 in terms of how you would kind of I guess 16 as a normal high schooler is wildly different from 16 as someone who's living in a war zone which for most of the people in the pack that is their life Mm. so I find it utterly fascinating how to play on how that changes you as a person in your experiences versus a different 16 year old, because Lydia being with another 16 year old would also be said incredibly in that interesting.
2: Of, yeah. A few, yeah. You know, a few weeks ago, you know, she's, I'd say she's about 17 now and she's like, Oh no, I'm done with high school guys. Is that meant to be yeah. a hint? like, you know, would it, I don't know. Like, I don't know American dating culture. Would it be weird if a 17 year old showed up with a 24 year old bo- boyfriend? Would you be like, Oh, she's dating an older guy. or Would it be like, hang on, Call the police. Like I don't know if that's like. I mean, he is the police, but yeah. <laughs> he is the. But <laughs> oh um,
0: God, that that also adds an. I'll have to put
2: myself under arrest.
0: Um, but this is that's also the interesting thing that I find with Styles and Derek. Yeah. As a as a thing as well is I find the age gap a fascinating thing to explore. The thing that I don't like is when it's ignored. I don't yeah. like when it's yeah, brushed she- off as not being important because yeah. that is something if if it is in either way if either one of these things were to go in the direction where they would be put on the show yeah either either way whichever one we're talking about I would want to see it addressed yeah the age gap I... and the life experience differences and everything like that I don't think it's something to be glossed over yeah but it's also something that I am really really interested in and fascinated in yeah
2: we don't we don't generally get into talking about shipping that much because actually Karen like Karen and I are both relatively not too committal about different ships, but seeing as Donya's here and she is a bit more involved, yeah, um, I am just slightly... we'll have a little bit of a chat about that because okay, I'll tell you what I like I'll tell you what what I need for Steric to work for me <laughs> I, I need the age gap addressed, and I need styles to i i need I don't like the sexuality thing being brushed aside either. I can appreciate that the world is one in which it doesn't matter what someone's sexuality is. And I I think that that's a really good quality because obviously no one's going to have like a traumatic coming out unless they happen to hate themselves. But I don't like it being like, I don't like everyone at this point with the canon on the show, it is clearly not known that styles likes guys, even though it's, semi-obvious I, and not that I again I, I, I don't particularly read a whole ton into like the canon of Steric on the show but if we were talking about that situation in fan fiction which I do like I would need people like Scott etc to be like hang on what about it I don't like it being unless you're sort of talking in the future where he it's allegedly that he's already been like oh yeah I like dudes and girls whatever this is fine I and I and don't I don't need a traumatic oh my god I'm queer in some way but I like I, I need a kind of like I need su- I need that to not be brushed aside in the same way I, I think, need the age thing to not be brushed aside.
0: I think the questioning part
2: would yeah. be really interesting to see play out. Derek? with Styles. Derek, um, I don't need Derek. Is I'm I'm I would believe anything about Derek before he came back to Beating and Hills. Maybe he was you know screwing guys all over New York City. Like I would I would believe him as as sort of. Um, he's kind of the one that I wouldn't I'm sure that again I'm sure people like Scott would be like what the hell but if the, if it's from Derek's perspective I wouldn't I wouldn't need him I to think, be like I don't feel I don't feel the need to have Derek be like oh my god I like a boy I mean he'd be traumatized about the age thing but I don't feel him need, need to be like oh my god yeah, I like I a boy cuz I feel like Derek at that stage in his life would know what he was whatever we've seen you know regardless of whatever yeah. we've seen on screen if that makes sense
0: I think with Derek he's so so private about mm-hmm. what is personal to him yeah. he doesn't share a lot of that yeah that it would make it far more realistic if he if he did end up with a guy mm-hmm. whether that is Styles whether that is someone else you know i I would be far easy, far more easily able to believe that because there is such a huge gap of of what we don't know about life. yeah he's so fiercely personal yeah. about about himself and and his private life that, you know, he could just as easily like a guy and just not want to address it with anyone else because yeah. really none of their business who he's hooking up yeah. with, I except think... for when they go around murdering people, yeah. in which case then it becomes people's business a little bit. But with
2: <laughs> Styles... He went around murdering people.
0: With, with With Styles, I think the questioning stage would be...
2: A really interesting yeah. thing to play off, unless you and got past the point in the canon where he was already having that happen. If you know what I mean. Yeah. At this point, if I am talking about a fan fiction that is set in the canon world with Styles and Derek, I need Styles to have the in either the internal questioning or people to be like, huh, about it. Derek, I would believe had has his own shit sorted out behind his brain. If you know what I mean. Like, I think he knows where he's at and I think that we don't know where he's at, you know, but he does, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I think anyway, we'll yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that's totally how I do it. Yeah, no, it, it is. I think – Um, And I, I don't actively – that's the thing. I don't actively read heaps and heaps of Teen Wolf fan fiction because I often get into things that has dynamics I don't particularly like, you know, or whatever, and, you know, that's fine. You know, different people like different things. But, yeah, if you happen to know any that have, you know di- – yeah, and it, it, I mean, it can get a bit sameish if it's all like, oh my God, Styles. Nah, nah, nah. I don't. I don't like big dramatic like focus. The focus of the story is like, oh my God, I like a guy. How am I going to deal with that? Because that's not ever going to be the thing. But given that you've had so much back and forth about Styles and sexuality and and all that kind of thing, I I liked I, I like to see a bit of a bit of a what the fuck in there about like, oh, hang on. You know, and especially a what the fuck about it being Derek, because, you know, on paper, he not hates Derek, but, you know, he's antagonized by Derek. So I think yeah. that's a bigger aspect. But anyway, we should probably move on from that. Yes. So um, Brooke has just sort of included a bit of a um, a list in terms of the a really good breakdown of the, the, the hit list so far. Um, which is, you know, people in order of, of value, which is Scott at the top, then Lydia, Derek, Kate, Kira, Shiko, Jordan Parish, uh, Brett, and then a bunch of people who might be betas or whatever. It's, you know, got the ones marked that are already dead, uh, which is six um, six people so far. Carrie Hudson was the blonde girl; that was her name. Ah, uh, uh,
0: yes, there we Yeah,
2: are. names that aren't on the list yet: uh, Malia, Peter, Liam, and Meredith. Um, so she's a banshee as well, obviously. Peter's a werewolf, you know, others are. Will the druids Deaton and Morell be on the list? Uh, we don't know, but from what we've just discussed, we don't we don't think they are. Jordan Parrish is worth five million. Keys to the code. Aiden and Alison, both close to Lydia, both killed by the Oni. Um, relevant, you know, is that a coincidence, um, or or anything like that? What will third code be? Is there a pattern? Last part of the list has names worth uh, twenty one million seven hundred and fifty thousand who will be on it. And some people ask why Styles isn't on the list. Styles is human and it's a list of supernatural creatures, so of course he's not on it. They can't blame Styles for what the Nagitsune, that evil son of a bitch, did. Um that doesn't mean he's not in danger. He's friends with the most wanted so he still needs to watch out because killers would do anything to finish the job. Last but not least, who is the benefactor? This is someone's Tumblr post which I'll link in the thing, but this is a big question for us as well. Who's the benefactor? I've seen so many different opinions about this. Is it another supernatural creature? That'd be hypocritical. Uh, Or is it a hunter with a grudge against supernatural on bacon hills like Grandpa Argent? Or is it someone entirely different? Okay, Donya, hit me. Who's the benefactor? So, uh, obviously in the middle of the episode... The um, answer is Danny, by the way. Right. It's Danny. That's the benefactor.
0: So, before this episode, (laughs) I was split on two people.
2: Victoria
0: Argent. Yeah. Or Danny. Okay for me Victoria Argent mostly because of the link to Allison that's where that was coming yeah. from and i would very feasibly see her if she had survived that uh, that attempt on her life the the suicide from from when she was turned yeah i could very easily see her becoming some kind of werewolf hunter hybrid keeping but things but she's dead in. but but is she? The okay. dead don't stay dead on this show. We know that. <laughs>
2: no.
0: Um, the other, the other really, really heavy leaning was for me, Danny, mm.
2: because he, he has that. He probably that lip- hates them all by now. Oh
0: god. And we know that he knows. Yeah. We just don't know how much he knows. Mm. So that was very, very feasible. But halfway through this episode, I just kind of went, well, who else knows like everything about everything but doesn't Dayton. say? deaton fuck that guy i still from season one don't have had this i don't trust him i've had this feeling from season one that i think that he would turn out to eventually be the big bad i have said it since i started watching the show that i got that vibe and i don't know where it's coming from and neither danny or
2: deaton has been in the season so far
0: not very much. I think we saw a little bit of Deaton, didn't we? Oh, like two. Have six. we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we haven't yeah. seen much. But the thing with Deaton is that he's always kind of said that, as an emissary or as a as a druid, their role is specifically to keep balance. Hmm. Maybe now, he's obviously, like, too
2: many too many teens coming to Beacon Hills. Too many supernatural teens coming. Yeah.
0: But this is this is the thing. That's what I was
2: starting to think is if. It's very the... snowpiercer, by the way. Um, have you seen that yet, Donya? We're gonna have to talk have about that. I have not seen it. Don't. It's the worst thing I've ever seen. Not in it. Not in it Like, oh my god, it's crappy quality. I just, I just hate so it this so. This is me
0: throwing my lot in for it being beaten. Okay. So I think that with the nematon being active and beacon. Beacon Hills or Beacon Candy, whichever one it is, becoming a beacon for the supernatural, it's going far too much in one direction. I think this could potentially be his way of not getting his hands dirty and balancing it back out again. Because we know Uh. for a fact that he doesn't like to get too involved in things. But if it does turn out to be Deaton, I will be so screaming from the rooftops that I knew it I because from so season- much. I don't necessarily hate him I do. he just frustrates me in that uh-uh. he's not very forthcoming but yeah from season one I've had a really really uneasy vibe about him I, mean- and I don't know why I didn't jump to him sooner than this but yeah I'm I'm throwing it out there I think it's gonna be Deaton
2: I mean there's oh sorry god <laughs> there's, I mean there's Gerard but Gerard is sort of really obvious like I feel like that would be the first logical conclusion that people would obvious.
0: make but then how much is he gonna know based on the fact that he at the moment is still kind of holed up secreting black goo everywhere
2: he has a magical Hogwarts quill I told you okay okay that's what we're Magical. gonna go with okay. um, no um, I don't know I, I, I don't,
0: it's Teen Wolf Teen Wolf can be obvious at times but the one thing about this show is it can sometimes pull something out and be entirely surprising like we saw with the Wendigo episode where they framed it very very much like the murder mystery the horror story I mean... where it's and, and then they flip it on its head I mean Teen Wolf is very very good at that we know that so okay. I think Gerard Argent is is a little bit too obvious.
2: How about Agent McCall?
0: I don't know. How
2: about how about like it's the government doing this?
0: Oh, that would be interesting. If, maybe if, Agent
2: McCall's if, head of the project, but he doesn't. He hasn't seen the list uncoded, so he doesn't know Scott is involved. Or maybe he does and He's just evil, but I don't think evil <laughs> at this point. I don't think. I don't think. Yeah, maybe is. he knows oh. the project and he thinks he's keeping this big secret from everyone else.
0: That would be quite interesting. That would be a really interesting way to go.
2: Yeah, I mean, in each other season, you know, the the reveal of the of the the kind of big bad has been someone we've only met that season. Aside from the Nagitsune. Yeah, you know, we usually styles. it's like you know, like Matt and Gerard only came in in season two, and then they were the big bads. You know, um, Haley, uh, you know, Jennifer, obviously, and and now the alpha pack came in in season three, and then were the big bads. So you know uh, is it a new character you know or is it is it someone playing a long game like i think that
0: with the fact that a lot of the people that we know are on that list that mm. that has to be someone that we already know harris because the
2: harris it's harris harris's body was never found
0: oh yes and you know what i would love to see adam fristo back on the show.
2: Yeah, did he say anything um, at the convention that made you think he, he was actually benefactor? joked?
0: He joked that he was the benefactor at one point. Well, on then he's the probably panels.
2: not, but I think he is. Um,
0: um, I would love that actually, um, because we know that he was involved in the supernatural somehow. We know that he knew quite a lot of people in the supernatural community. He was aware of the Drach, mm. even though we only got introduced to them that season. So you know. He's got ties into most of the wider story, so it could quite feasibly be Harris. Because again, yeah, he was still on Styles' suspect list back in uh, 3A because they hadn't found the body. And I would assume that they still have not found the body, which was very, very strange for the fact that all of the other bodies from the sacrifices were found. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. Except for Harris.
2: I don't know, man. I don't know. I could believe it.
0: I could believe it. If it happened... I think it's I...
2: probably a long game as well, but I don't know. It's it's very stressful.
0: I think um, at the moment my money's
2: on Deaton. Yeah, I'll... I'll, I'll I'm probably
0: going to be so wrong. Oh, no. so
2: we're, wrong. we're all probably wrong at some point.
0: But I really... I, now that I've said it and thought of it as we're going through this, mm. like, I, I really want it to oh, be Oh, God. Deaton.
2: Scott's going to be so mad. Yeah. I don't know. It's... My theory at the moment is that they get all of the money back, and that and that Derek pays for everyone's medical fees and things like that, and pays you know. off all their debt. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> Derek's a good Peter job. will be so mad. Huh? Oh yeah. Peter will have to get a job at Starbucks. I don't know what Peter's playing at it. as well. Like maybe he's the benefactor, um, <laughs> um, because he he seems to be having some you know some something going on. Okay. I I was going to get you to ask a non-sequitur question, or I had one in mind. Brooke has taken it upon herself to write one in there for herself that she wanted to ask us. Her non-sequitur question is, coming from Brooke to us, to you and me, is on a scale from one to Derek Hale, how sad are you that you're not at Comic-Con this week? (laughs) Now, I I didn't even see this question before we started our rams at the beginning of the episode, so there's your answer. The answer is, fuck you, Brooklyn. Fuck you. <laughs> um, sorry, I'm a bit sweary this episode. But, yeah, no, genuinely, I went to Comic-Con in 2011, uh, which is before I started working with Hyperbull, actually. I was there just as a fan, and I have never been as a, as a Hyperbull staffer. I was okay with it the past couple of years. I wasn't through- Last year, I remember being a bit bummed because there was a couple of panels for new shows that I was I was really keen on. This year it's causing me like physical anxiety in my chest. I'm like, I don't begrudge Karen. I, I, because I love her and she's has no, no malice in her body and she's not a braggy person or anything like that. And, and, she, you know, she's really great about it. Um, but I'm genuinely very upset, like very, not just like, Oh, I'm laughing this up. It's, it's real bad this year. Yeah, so. For me,
0: same. Like I've never been to a comic con. Yeah. Uh, I've been to the kind of, hybrid ones that they've got that come yeah. over to the UK. Yeah. I've been to those. But, you know, it's the UK. That is a much smaller scale and we don't have nearly as much. I've never been to one of the the Comic Cons that are organized either New York or mm. San Diego. Uh I've I've always wanted to go. This year especially, they have got so much stuff that is gonna be showing there that I really want to see. Like
2: yeah. Let's Marvel. go. Let's go the Comic Con before the Captain America three release. Can you oh. make that pact with me? What year I'll make that pact. What, what year you. is that I, happening? That is that 2016 or 17? I think 16. I think it's 16. So that would mean the 2015 Comic Con, unless the unless the movie comes out at the end of the year, it would either be the 15 or 16. Yeah, I'll make that pact with you. Let's I've, do it. I've been
0: saying next year's one. I and really I don't know
2: if we're all gonna get into hyperbole stuff or anything, but let's just go as fans, yes. even though tickets <laughs> are like freaking impossible to get.
0: Yeah, but for me, this year is really difficult um, because they've got obviously they've got the huge Marvel panel, and yeah. I've been such a massive Marvel fan, like from the comic it's books. It's the
2: biggest one they've they've years, done. I think. Yeah.
0: Yeah, the- yeah, and the- obviously, Teen Wolf has such a huge presence this year, and in-, in the fact that they've got their own massive booth
2: this yeah. year, and
0: they've got those all those exclusive little bits and, and mm. pieces, and the new DVD art covers, and-, and all of that. So that's happening. And then, um, obviously, the new shows that I'm really, really looking forward to, like Constantine, mm. like,
2: um, The Flash. Uh, what else? Ooh, Gotham. Ooh, oh, Donya. It's what? okay. We don't have to go this year. If we go next year, if it's 2015, maybe we'll see American Gods stuff. <gasps> okay, next year. Now you feel better. <laughs> okay. Next year well, it's happening. We'll, 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 let's, we'll wait for the, the Cap Is the Cap 3 date announced, the proper date? I think they'll probably be, because they've, they've got their It'll be their one swap. of the ones that, yeah. We'll work it out, but we'll do yeah. it. We'll We'll try and do it for... Look what, well, done, Look what you've done, Look what you've done. See, very soon, and I know that I'm going to be going to BiteCon in April, so I hope that I can do July as well, but, oh, this is very stressful. Okay, um, but I want to, yes, to answer the question, very badly. Like, the worst the worst ever that I have had for a Comic-Con. I, you know, and every year I'm just like, oh, my God, I've been, and it was so awesome, and I want to go again. And every year it, it, it does have its own exquisite pain, This year, it's more than just, like, lol, this sucks that I'm not there. This year, I am physically anxious about it. So, yeah, um, it's a lot. But we're not holding that against Karen. We're just holding that against everyone else that's there. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, I'd love to
0: go to a Comic-Con. I am, however, doing New York Comic-Con this year. My press pass did come through, so I'm going to be helping Karen out with the Teen Wolf stuff later this Um. year. So I'm Um, excited about that. But yeah,
2: San Diego, you've never seen anything like it. No, I can imagine. It's freaking. It's just you've never. It's. I can't. It's the best, but I cannot believe what it's like. It's just insane, and yeah. For
0: for me, I think doing New York Comic Con is gonna be like easing my way into it. Yeah, Yeah. it's gonna be my preparation. I'd never.
2: I went from like Supernova to like to like San Diego Comic Con, and it was amazing. Um, it was it was incredible but it was slightly uh yeah it was just it was overwhelming oh uh, and i i went to the, if anyone is going to comic con and you're not even you're probably going to hear this after it happens yes the Mar- the big marvel panel in hall h is going to be epic the marvel studios um panel that that's going to be talking about their projects is going to be great everyone should also try and go if you're a fan of that to um, and this annual panel called a cup of Joe, which is the Joker Sater, who's the creative head of Marvel. He does this tiny little panel in a like small room, which is like, like as opposed to hall eight, just like room 67 a or something. And it's, it's, it's not one of the big rooms. So it's quite easy to get into, uh, but it's, it's them basically talking about everything that's coming along in the Marvel universe for uh, comics, animated show, film, TV, you know, whatever they'd be talking about. I think, um you know, the, the year I went to it, um, uh, yeah, they were talking a lot about, I think, like, the Drake Bell Spider-Man and Coulson appearing in that. Like, it was just after the Coulson thing started to get really popular from Iron Man, and Clark Gregg came and, like, trolled the hell out of the the panel, and it was all... And I got a free Avengers shirt from, like, way before the movie was released. I like that. A lot of Comic-Con panels, they give you a gift for attending a panel. You get a little ticket, then you then get to go and claim it later, and that panel is really good if you like Marvel stuff, and that's an annual thing that he does every year, and it's kind of a little, subtle, tiny little... Event where they reveal a whole lot of stuff out of the way yeah. of the, the crowds. So that'll be one that we'll go to, won't it, Tonya? <laughs> yes. Oh, absolutely.
0: I would pretty much be hitting up every single Marvel thing that I could uh, possibly get
2: into. Anyway, so. we should. It's just so crazy, and so many. Of the weirdest things end up happening. It's just this crazy dream and yeah we'll, we'll 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 make it happen but yeah this has been a really really long podcast and i'm gonna have to edit this at some point so we should we this should probably go. episode this episode was so full of
0: so much awesome stuff though that yeah. it was it's so hard to like cut this one
2: yeah back and, i mean like, leave and we could also have spend. a bit of a rant about comic-con and shipping and that's fine. Yeah. That is- and we both, we both talk a lot slower than the Americans do as well. So <laughs> there's that. But, yeah, that's – so hopefully you've enjoyed this this episode, slightly deterring from normal. Uh, we shall yeah. hopefully hear from Karen next week after she's experienced all her Comic-Con joy. Um, she can record that episode by herself so she doesn't have to inflict her joy on us and we don't have to sit there being <laughs> – like. Um, she can just sit there and record to empty air you know and tell you all about how Comic Con was that's fine (laughs) anyway moving on (laughs) we'll say bye now and if yeah Yeah. you want to chat to us feel free but until next week I suppose we shall say goodbye yeah goodbye guys thanks for listening